0: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio host, and nationally recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at safetyphd. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Safety Doc Podcast after only... A 10-month hiatus, so yes, some major renovations down here in the North Star Recording Studio, including a new floor, and we finally addressed that termite issue, so things are back on track. And I've been receiving a lot of questions lately about school mask mandates, K-12 school. Uh, Now, suddenly, we've seen a flurry of litigation in this area in the last couple days. So I'm going to unpack this process of what exactly is the deal with uh, board of education policies and practices for deciding if you have a mask, if you don't have a mask, who's liable? Um, what about the money that schools received, right? From the federal pandemic relief fund and some of the wacky things that school districts bought <laughs> with, with this pandemic money um, it has nothing to do with uh, cleaning and sanitizing and stuff like that more about sports. So we're going to get into that and I'm going to talk about contact tracing, what that looks like in schools. Also uh, environmental services. So this is a big part of the discussion, which has been quiet, right? Like it's very common for schools to be tested for mold and MRSA and things like that. And to have companies come in and do remediation. Sometimes they have to shut a school down for a couple of weeks, thinking getting mold out of ceiling tiles or, you know, up behind a false wall or something like that. But so like, where are these services? Like why aren't we hearing about this on the news and coming in and testing surfaces or testing the air? So, uh, I'm going to get into that and then also, um, again, pick apart some of these recently filed lawsuits as of like today against schools um, regarding masking and also lawsuits where a parent is disclaim, my child w- became ill at school with COVID-19 and it was because the school did not implement appropriate mitigation measures. So this is gonna be crazy for schools. A little bit here, I am teaching uh, two school legal issues, courses this fall so this is right in my wheelhouse right now plus being a school administrator for 20 years right mctubus is mctubus in the house it's chad elkins oh my god it's chad elkins chicago the oracle of chicago chad elkins john Steele, bacon sast andrew wow joe dolio holy smokes joe dolio is in the house wow we this is gore monger is in the house too So thank you for being in the house, everybody. And so let's get into it. Um, Mask guidance in schools. So what is ideally supposed to happen in a school setting is that there would be guidance delivered from the county. Okay. So pandemic guidance, especially last year uh, when things started to kick off in districts and districts were like, I don't know if we should be going in person um, or if we should be going virtual or have some blend or all of this stuff, it's the counties, I suppose if you're Louisiana, it's the parishes, right? But that are supposed to give guidance to the districts on that. And the counties tried to do that for a while and they got behind or else there was pushback from a district or they would say, yeah, we contact traced and there was a sporting event here. So you have to call everybody and then there will be, You know, people would be angry about that. And and so a lot of people, these organizations, right, these county level health organizations just resigned or said, we're not going to do it anymore. And then it defaults over to the school saying, school, you make the call. So where I'm at, we have 471 school districts, including Washington Island, which is on an island. You have to take a ferry to get to that district. It's like 58 kids. And basically saying, hey, you make the call on whether you have a mask or not. So the state hasn't done anything with that. And then the federal government doesn't do those mandates for schools, just like school safety, right? So the federal government doesn't mandate that all schools have locked doors. That would be a state by state decision. And actually only one state does it. So it's left to the districts to make their determination on this. So welcome over here to uh, Chad Elkins, uh, celebrity moderator. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've got to figure out the moderator thing and um, give a few more moderator blue wrenches out here. I see we have SAST and BACON keep things in in a good place for us tonight. So, again, this is coming to districts and a lot of these districts and their board of education, you know, board of education when you're voted on is an entry level position. (laughs) So they don't know much typically coming into that about how schools operate. And especially how schools operate during a pandemic. So schools are making these kind of toggling these decisions of should we have masks or shouldn't we have masks. Now the the problem with that is um, how are you informing yourself? So when I talk to school administrators, I said you know wherever you fall on this, you have to be able to prove that you debated it, right? That you took information. You you're either in contact with. Uh, medical providers, or if you are using CDC guidance, or, you know, whatever it is that you have some process where you're making these, these decisions. And that's where things kind of fall apart with schools. So when I talk to wide number of administrators, about half will say, you know, our school board just kind of voted. <laughs> they just said, we're going to be all, you know, optional mask or mask requirement. And there wasn't much that came into that. that's part of it right so board of education will make a vote and then it's the superintendent who has to make the decision of how will we implement this so if it's a mask mandate let's say that a board of education says everybody has to wear a mask then it's the superintendent's job to figure out okay how are we going to notify people how are we going to message that are we going to you know email parents what if parents don't speak english how are we going to communicate that out are we going to have signage What's the expectation for administrators? What if somebody doesn't have a mask? Are we buying masks to provide? What if a kid doesn't wear masks? mask or what if they don't wanna wear a mask? How does all of this happen? How about professional development, teaching kids to wear their mask, especially a four year old, right? Who's gonna take that mask off or take it off at recess or whatever it is. So you have to have all of these things that go in with that and you have to document that. You have to have that ready to go. It's called discovery. Yeah, some of my friends are finding out right now in districts that have received lawsuits. Um, and, you know, the attorneys are asking, well, show us how you made people aware of, you know, whether if you're masking, how you are making those determinations and any ex- exemptions to that. So, so yeah, it, it's really wonky right now. And these, these lawsuits are coming up where parents are suing districts and they're saying, my child became ill because they were exposed to a child or a staff member who wasn't properly masked or masked with, with, without fidelity, right? That the mask wasn't on all the time. So like, how in the world do you do that? Like that is just, that's just crazy. Um, So let me go over here in the, in the chat. Um, So yeah. Welcome, welcome um, sass Welcome Chad. Welcome John Steele. So um, so All right, mask in the real school world. Here's another question. What actually constitutes a mask? So, (laughs) you know, does a bandana that a kid is wearing at school, does that constitute a mask? Um, In some places it does. I mean, how do you say is surgical grade? Well, who knows, right? Like, unless um, is N95, which would have the the marking on it. So the, the other part of this is what what, constitutes a mask. So, a board of education really should put this in a policy or have some statement on what is acceptable as a mask. And I wrote about this in my book, The Velocity of Information, which is right here, right here. So, yes, this is actually, uh, this will be out in February. This is just my print copy here, 255 pages. But so, if imagine if you were to enter a school and the school was to provide you the, the child or the parent with a mask. And, and so they knew that it was, you know, whatever and 95. And then as you left the school, like you dispose of the mask and stuff like that, there, there are no procedures like that in schools, right? Anything is a mask and you can go on Etsy and there's over a million mask available to buy. And you can also type in like mask plus rhinestones and you'll find masks that have rhinestones and other things like, affix to them or, you know, uh, rivet it to them. So like, so what's, I guess the question would be, what's the validity of any type of mask, uh, is, as far as preventing exhaled aerosols or providing, uh, pre- preventing aerosols from coming into your body. So at what point is this really a compliance thing? What, it, what part of this is compliance theater? I mean, cause you're not checking any of these masks with kids. So you have no, no idea if they're really, reducing aerosol or or not, right? So it's it's pretty crazy. It's just pretty crazy. Um so how and again, how are you enforcing this? So this is the question that's coming out right now in litigation is saying how to school administrators. Um so tell us about your process to make sure that people and kids were wearing masks. Were you going around periodically and checking um was there an expectation if a kid didn't want to wear a mask, then what happened? Were, were they sent home? Did they need some exemption from a doctor? So these are the type of things that, that sound um, sensical right now, <laughs> like they make sense. But in the moment, like a lot of this stuff never got done. So it all becomes this hindsight where schools are trying to, to remember, like, what did we do? Or did we remind people and, and stuff like that? So um so you can, some students can receive medical exemptions, right? So particularly students with uh, disabilities, that they don't have to wear a mask in those cases, then those doctors um, orders. So if the child isn't wearing a mask, is everybody else in the room wearing a mask? Or what if you have multiple children who are exempted, not wearing a mask, then are you making sure that they are socially distanced? And how do you do that for the entire day? And um, So those types of those types of questions get asked and you have to have an answer for that. So contact tracing, I don't know about you, but I remember it was last year, this time on my phone, there was an app download it in the middle of the night or something. And it was the contact tracing app. And at that point, um, I think you had to download a companion app to make it work. But, you know, if you had been in proximity of somebody like 15 feet away for (laughs) 10 minutes or something, it would, and they tested positive for COVID, it would notify you and you were supposed to self-quarantine or something. But schools are left to contact trace on their own. Now there's this thing called deterministic assessment, right? Deterministic testing. So if we tested everybody every day who came into a school with a rapid test to see if they were, COVID positive or not. Let's just say that this is something that you could do. You're testing everybody as they're coming in. You would know that day who was positive and who wasn't. But how this really works, contact tracing, right, is it, it has to be someone who gets sick. They go to a hospital and they're tested. And then you are like, whoa, like this person tested positive. So then you contact the school and the school's trying to look at schedules of okay, like this student or staff member taught this class and they taught this. So what it ends up being is like, you know, everybody around you, class period is usually 50 minutes or whatever. You're like, oh my God, Um, there are now close contacts. So I get these notifications daily. I have kids in school and, you know, buzzing on the phone. Please check your email. Your child was in close contact. We do not require them to stay at home, um, but please monitor for possible COVID signs. Now here's the deal though, right? I live in Wisconsin. So this time of year, possible COVID sign, <laughs> that's allergies, that's colds, that's flu. I mean, all of that stuff is out there. So like, how do you distinguish this stuff? So again, like we're not doing deterministic testing on any of this. So it's really just a, an I a guess, right, at what the numbers would be at any point in time. So this becomes really a challenge for schools and schools aren't out front either with a a, you know temperature (laughs) and they're not taking every kid's temperature as they come in and okay if you have a temperature hundred or more we're going to do additional rapid testing that doesn't happen so some districts contact trace and others don't Um, they don't even deal with it because they don't have the staff or they don't have the technology in the smaller districts and they'll just be like forget it (laughs) so so this whole thing of thinking this contact tracing so I saw this on I don't know. It was New York times or something where they had you probably saw this too. put it in the comments. If you saw this, I'd love to, I'd love to read it or put, you know, lead me out to some links there, but um, it was, it was a teacher who they said uh, took her mask off to read a story. And then like eight students in her class became infected with COVID and, and they knew it was her because apparently they tested these eight students and knew the specific, um, the virus that they had matched her virus. I don't know. It was, DNA type matching or whatever you know whatever it was where they could say it was a specific strain in this classroom, but like that's a fairy tale, right? Like that doesn't happen in other districts. That might have happened with the specific high uh, high end um, medical biological assessment team in this one setting where they went in and scrutinized this, but that's not the way that it works at all. Like it's just a, it's just a guess. Um, so this this thing of contact tracing is. Um it, it's so loosey goosey, like it's all over the place. Um, so it's just it's it's crazy. Um, let's talk about let's talk environmental services. So this is the part of the discussion which is being left out of the discussion. People aren't talking about this, and they should. <laughs> so when I was a school administrator, I had this a couple of times, you'd be notified by environmental services. And those are the people who are testing your buildings for how much lead is in the water, right? (laughs) And um, uh, if there's any mold like on surfaces or in your HVAC system, I think they do that to make sure there's like Legionnaires disease and stuff like that. So, and MRSA, right? That was a big thing. I wrote about it in an article 10 years ago. MRSA or the, the flesh eating bacteria was a big scare for schools. And now, you know, don't really hear much about it. But environmental services, that's usually contracted out by schools, these companies, and they come in and, and basically check that the setting is, is safe from mold and mers and stuff. So I, I contacted some of these companies and I said, so here's the deal. Like, um, could you test for COVID in the, uh, on a surface, right? Could you do that? And by the way, like it's it's isn't it weird that we don't have any any very specific guidance on it'll last this long on the plastic surface of of this book, or it will last so long on a door handle, or if it's exposed to sun on a playground? or I don't know. But I said, can you come in and test this stuff? Can you actually do this? I said, sure. Like we have the technology, we can we can do the equipment and all that. We can do that. Okay, so you can do hard surface. Can you do air samples like in uh, cafeteria or? Out uh in a basketball court, you know, during a break during a basketball game, could you could you do an air sample and determine if there's COVID in the air? And they said, Yeah, sure, we could do that. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm asking them this, like, you know, I'm trying to to put some impossibility out there that there's no way they can do. And they're like, Yeah, of course, of course we can do that. Are you crazy? Like, yeah, that's that's easy stuff. Like, come on, like throw us a throw us a 95 mile an hour curveball or something like this. Is of course we can do this. So then I asked, I said, are 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 people asking you to do to do this? And they said, no, <laughs> absolutely not. And so, you know, I I'm not asking why, but I can kind of deduce why they're not being asked to do this. And the reason is if you if if you find out about it, right, what are you going to do to mitigate it? Like what are your options? Um and that's 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 a hard question. So I was in a district where they had mold at an elementary school. And by god, the last thing you want to learn before school starts. Like literally like a few days before is by the oh we we found mold behind a wall and in a ceiling tile like in two rooms like oh god no. So that usually ends up in that building being shut down for a couple of weeks and mold mitigation team comes in and it's like you know the Mike Wazowski type thing. What is it? Put it down below in that code from uh, Monsters Inc it's a code 48 or something, whatever it is, um, 48, 16, whatever. Um, come on, bacon, do it. Um, or SAST. I'm going to be trying to figure that out. But so anyway, you, you, you have this stuff, right? Like they, they come in, they, they mitigate it. You know how you're going to message it out and and MRSA, the same type of thing. This isn't that uncommon and it, it's a pain, right? As an administrator and it disrupts the whole school r- routine and all of that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a good idea, but unless you give me your, your number, I have no one to call. All right. I don't know what's, what's going on there. That's what's asked. But yeah, so, so with schools, the question is, can, where should environmental services be? So schools received a ton of money, um, through, and let me get the, the actual, um, act here. It was the elementary and secondary school emergency relief for the ESSER, ESSER fund in March of 2021 and have received additional dollars since then to improve things like HVAC and stuff like that. So anyway, schools get the dollars and I for sure expect it, right? Because in school safety, when you get money from the feds or the state, <laughs> it just gets poured into things like bollards and cameras. And there's, there's no shortage of vendors to just rush to you so I'm like why hasn't that happened first of all in this case? Because you you anticipate, right, that you're going to be sued as a district for that you didn't um, prevent a student from being exposed to covid, like they were in close contact or you didn't clean the handles or the desk or something like that, door handles, desk. So you anticipate that. So like where where were the vendors? So the another part of this is, you know, with the just in time manufacturing and the shortage of goods the vendors just weren't there. Like that's another thing. Um, yeah. The Monsters Inc. thing, bacon, get on that. Um, but yeah, so the vendors weren't there to provide cause they didn't even know what to provide like for products. And there's a difference in school safety too. I was thinking about this. So if I am selling a school bollards to put yellow bollards to put in front of their doors, so somebody doesn't run a car through the front doors of the school That's, first of all, it's pretty unlikely that that scenario will ever play out. I can sell those and make a lot of money off of them. And I can just kind of vanish like over time. Like no one's testing the validity of those ballers. They just kind of get yellow and, (laughs) and, and, you know, they get rusty and and they're just like that people forget about them. Right. Like, but if I am, if I am selling a school, something that is going to like, um, sanitize areas and things like that. There's probably a, a likelihood I could be named in litigation, right, that I provided this, this remedy and it didn't prevent um, the school from having this cross-contamination. So that's why I think a lot of these companies are kind of staying on the, the sidelines too, not rushing forward and saying, hey, we've got like these brand new HVAC um, filtration systems that we can sell you and these standalone air sanitizers and stuff like that. 2319. Yeah. 2319 Jodolio. So I think that's happening. People are standing on the, uh, on the sidelines and, and they're not rushing into this because, you know, you don't want to be named in litigation. Um So anyway, this whole environmental services thing is a big, is, is a big missing piece right now. Um, And again, like if a school finds out about this, let's say a school comes in and and somebody tests for COVID on door handles and desk and things like that, and they find out 80% of the school is positive for these things, what are they gonna do? Like how are you going to effectively mitigate that and then continue to mitigate that? So I think there's some part of this where schools are like, I don't wanna be the first one. I don't wanna be the leading edge of that, right? Like I wanna see another district go through that and see how it works out for them. So pretty, pretty bizarre stuff going on, but I'm really surprised. And here's another thing, like we've seen this on TV, right. Or I've seen it and let me know if and down in the comments too, if you've, if you've seen this, but um, I've seen school boards bring in doctors to um, talk about, you know, why you should be wearing mask and, you know, things like, so doctors are, are trying to, well, they're trying to basically give the board <laughs> a a reason to vote yes on a mask mandate. So the board will say, you know, come in doctors and, and present and And I'm like, that's the part of that that's wrong, right? Is like, it's your environmental services. It's your people who can come in and test your sites and kind of tell you what is actually going on or what's in the air and then like how to mitigate it. Because if, let's say that you had masks, right? So here's, I'm sure what every school is, is afraid of. What if you had mask and kids are wearing masks, and you go in with your environmental services during the day, and you're taking samples and you're taking air samples, and it tests the positive, right? It has positive COVID, and you're like, "Well, we're masked. What do you do then? Like, what's your next step? Is it going with a a different type of mask? But then, what if that doesn't change things? You know what I'm saying? So, so there there's some thinking down the line here of with mold and MRSA, it gets you know pretty at least it gets pretty objective where you can kind of identify these things and, and try to suss them out. But um, I remember being in stands at a basketball game and watching the kids with a mask. And, you know, the mask is down half the time and they're touching the basketball and stuff. And I'm like, if there genuinely is COVID out there, if one person has it, everybody has it, you know, because everything's being passed around. You're taking, you know, you're breathing deeply as you're as you're playing the sport. Um, you know, uh, it, it just... Like who's sampling? Who's testing this stuff? But no one really wants to go down that road, right? This environmental services, but that's what should be happening at board meetings. Bring in environmental services and have them talk about, yeah. Here's how we're going to assess, and here's how we can mitigate. And there's some pretty cool things to mitigate. Like there are um, these anti-virus um, uh, laminates, kind of like a like a paper, right? What? Well, Counter or cabinet paper, you know what I'm kind of talking about—sticky on one side, um, trans- transparent, translucent—and those are available. Like you can get those. Like that's another thing. I can go to Walmart. <laughs> I went to Walmart yesterday, and there's plenty of Lysol, Lysol, and Microban and stuff like that. Um, why? Why don't schools take some of the money that they've been given? So I'll talk about that in an example here. But you know, billions of dollars have been given to schools and and small districts, getting at least millions and they're they're not um they're not hiring like a as i would say a cleaner so right if i was if i was a school administrator in a smaller any district i would say we're going to hire with this money uh some people to clean right and that's that's your job you're going to have as joe dolio would say um the solo cater app so have you'll have some kind of mobile device with you in an app. So every time you go and clean an area, you'll have a a area that you'll clean that we identified with environmental services. And we know that like these door handles, the cafeteria tables and whatever are higher contact areas. So you're going to go and sweep and you're going to clean these. And every time you clean them with your whatever it is, microband, Lysol, magic spray, whatever, it is, you're going to take a picture and document it. So you have a timestamp, you can show, hey, like we have a routine, we go through this, we're addressing our high contact areas and the areas that environmental services have told us to address, but that's not happening. Like that's not, not happening anywhere. And it's kind of a novel idea, although like it seems super easy. And I, I guess you can say, well, there aren't people out there to staff this. Well, maybe, I mean, that could be true, but I'm not sure that is true. Um, and especially what I would do is to do it before the parents arrived as they're coming up to the school just for public r- relations, right? These schools are all battling what's in, in this game of open enrollment. So, you know, if I don't like it in this district, I can take my kids to the next district or to the private school or charter school or homeschool. So why why is a school, wouldn't you want to have it very visible that you were disinfecting door handles and things like that as people, kids arrive? start a day and kids exit at the end of the day. like why wouldn't you do that? So you know, I'm, I'm just it's weird I'm trying to think this out of this whole position of a cleaner and and trying to keep these areas um, sanitized or so so it's really it's weird. So let me tell you about funding. Um, this is where things really get crazy. So schools received funding through this act, again, the elementary and secondary school emergency relief, um, fund That was the first round, March of 2021, ESSER, ESSER. And so here's what they did. Um, <laughs> it's basically a block grant. Now, a block grant is when you can spend it on almost anything you want. Um, there's very little follow-up on it, accountability, and things like that. And I went through a number of grants. I, I was working in schools back in, I think, 2008 um, in the Obama administration, the ERA grants, American Recovery Um Response Recovery Act. And I mean, we had to buy, you had a document that it was American steel and American labor, and it was pretty intense on what you could use the, these funds for. But in this case, it's pretty it's pretty open to interpretation. If you're contributing to a a, a safer school environment relative to COVID, the money wasn't questioned. So here's what happened. Um, <laughs> instead of instead of putting in more sinks, instead of more hand washing stations instead of buying more uh, you know, just regular things we do for the flu, like right? hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer stations and, and soap. And these things were available. they're still available. I um, talking with some soup friends, I'm like, is this stuff? you can't get it from vendors? They're like, no, we can we can get it. Um, so so that stuff was really the intent, right of trying to get these laminate films. Um, get these hand sanitizers, uh, you know, other, you know, renovate a bathroom so you can put in some extra sinks in it, maybe make it wheelchair accessible. Like that's all the intent of this. Put in some portable filtration systems. Maybe if you can update your HVAC system. So a couple of things, one is the HVAC system. So there was some guidance that came out from the feds and they said, you know, Merv 13, M E R V 13. So, uh, A filter, a MERV 8 filter would leave more particulate matter through than a MERV 13. MERV 13 would take out like a virus. So schools started to realize, hey, like if we were to do this, we'd kill our HVAC motors. (laughs) Like We can't circulate this stuff. Like their motors aren't strong enough to do this. And, um, you know, by the way, the building is 85 years old. And every time, you know, there's a breeze outside, it comes in one side of the building and out the other. So there was just the logistics thing of looking and saying, by the way, we can't get these parts. Um, there's nobody around to install them. And even if we could bid this out and do this, it would take a year or two. So like, this doesn't make sense. And you only have three years to spend the money. So some of the schools, one near me bought, get this, they bought field turf for their athletic fields. So instead of grass, Artificial turf they put in their on their fields <laughs> and they didn't have any, um, you know, the boards didn't feel bad about that. Right. They're like, well, you know, we weren't going to get it any other way. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. But here was the argument. Well, now we have a, a playing, we have a surface that kids can be on more, whether it be FIED or we're doing classes outside or some stuff like that. And, of course, if it was raining and it's a traditional grass field, it would take longer for it to dry out and stuff. And, and so that passed, like that passed muster <laughs> because there really is no oversight on any of this, right? If you can make any remote argument that putting in an artificial turf uh, football field at a small high school for $2 million, you know, makes sense versus, um, you know, putting in some more sinks, <laughs> Um you know, verse, all of these things, I mean, I would even go down and say like two-way radios, right? Every school needs current two-way radios if you survey them. And you could say, well, then we could use, you know, we could update all of our communications, our two-way radios, stuff like that, and repeaters. And, and then we can, uh, you know, identify where kids are at and space them apart better. I mean, easy argument, right? Like I, I could give that argument. Take me a minute. And no, it's just coming this this money piling in. So that's another question that's going to come up to school boards is um, how did you make determinations on how to use this money? Like, did you hire a part-time contact tracer (laughs) or hire cleaners or no, we bought a new, we, we got a new turf field for our football stadium because there's no other way we would have got it, which is actually what happened in some of these places. And, and actually there's a waiting list now there's five other schools because I saw the one school get away with it. <laughs> so they're in line to do the same thing. And right, like this is completely crazy. And that's how, that's where people need to realize it. And as SAS said, um, the EDU needs to burn down to the ground, and start from scratches. This was, this is, is um, it's, it's almost, I'm, it's impossible to defend, right? SAS, it is impossible to, to say that, um, in a, a school getting all of this money, all these billions of dollars coming out into K-12 and to to basically have, the, again, that block grant. Anything goes as long as you can justify it in making a more pandemic responsive environment. Again, something that would take most of us a minute to come up with some way <laughs> to make any argument for anything that we needed in a school or didn't need. Maybe it's just like this wish of want and suddenly here you have $2 million and you're putting in this artificial turf field um and that really i mean so it really gives schools a bad name when they do that these and these these things get into the media and especially then the school boards are like well too bad <laughs> like what are you going to do i mean we put we put this in and that's another thing right so schools are going to be very careful to not hire people because they don't want to lay off people so when the funding is gone you know, two, three years, they, they're not going to sustain that with local budget. And it's probably not going to be sustained through additional grants and things like that. So it's just things that you can buy instead of people that you can hire. So that's where, again, if you can do things like put in artificial turf, what are they going to do? Come rip it out? <laughs> I mean, they're not going to do that. So um, how can you objectively argue that it contributed to your school being a sa- safer, Environment during a time of the coronavirus, you'll have no idea, right? I mean, again, you'll just be able to make a speculative statement saying we had this area available so p- people could take their kids outside for class on a sunny day. By the way, it's getting cold here right now, so I don't know. It's just it's it's nuts. Um, so let, let me um, let me bring up this article right here, and uh, so this is. This is the, uh, the school district is Whitewater High School, Wisconsin. It is in my conference here. So we actually beat the Whitewater Whippets and bat in uh, football at the start of the year, um, and a home game. So yeah, they had to charity up and not play on their, their artificial turf because where I'm at here, <laughs> it is old school, um, lumpy grass. So it is the way that football was meant to be played. Um, but yeah, that, uh. That's pretty crazy. So um, let me just take this. This is an article from the news and observer. Wow. The news and observer. It's one thing to be the news, but if you're the news and observer, yeah, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty damn good. Um, so the news and observer, Colin Binkley and Ryan J Foley, I guess, from the Associated Press, October 7th, 2021. Um, wh- and right here, one Wisconsin school district built a new football Field in Iowa, high school weight room is getting a renovation. Another in Kentucky is replacing two outdoor tracks. All is funded through the billions of dollars in federal pandemic relief Congress sent to schools this year. So it's just it, it's just crazy, right? And you'd think at a school board level that a school board would be a, a better steward of your money. Like there would be a a very thoughtful, informed discussion. And you wouldn't be doing stuff like this with money coming out during a pandemic. So what would be things that would logically make sense? Updating your, your computers, right. And, and your ability to do distance learning, any of your Wi-Fi stuff, um, of course, hand-washing stations, ventilation, HVAC, um, windows. I mean, replacing carpets with um, hard flooring. I mean, it's endless, right? It's not hard to figure out how the hell, to appropriately spend this money, so yeah, fiduciary duty is a real thing. Yeah, Joe's right, um, and it is. It is. It's so it's extremely frustrating um, to see things to see things like this because it, it makes it makes it very challenging for districts that do um, try to address you know th- these these other issues uh, like sanitizing and hand washing stuff of like that. So let's talk about um, parent litigation. So this had been quiet for most of the fall, and I was I, I thought litigation was going to come from two sides. One is called compensatory education, students with disabilities. So the first area would be that hey, special education students not receiving services in school by idea the Individuals with Disability Education Act are required to provide X number of minutes. Per week, per the IEP individualized education plan, a lot of that just kind of went out the door during the time of um, remote learning. So I thought, oh, there's going to be litigation here, and I know that area well. Like I was a special education director for 20 years, and and I'm like, didn't happen, right? <laughs> like there was like virtually no litigation, especially around me. There was there was nothing with that. Um, so I'm like, okay, that's interesting, and I'm thinking, well, the next area of litigation. Um, it's likely to be parents litigating against a school saying, hey, my kid um, tested positive for COVID or had um, COVID symptoms, complications or whatever. And um, I believe uh, that they received this at school, right? Because they're in the school setting and whether the school didn't have mask or the mask weren't enforced or they weren't enforced on the bus or whatever. It's like that that would probably be the next area and it's happening. So where I'm at here in Wisconsin, um, the last two days have had two lawsuits filed with notice um, that there will be several other similar lawsuits filed in the next um, few days. So let me bring up this lawsuit here from the filed against the Waukesha School District. Um, So I've got the three monitors in front of me here. So, all right. This is Tuesday, October 12th from the Associated Press, our good friends over there. Um, Parent sues Waukesha School District over lack of COVID protocols in classroom. So I'll just read a little bit here. A parent has sued a southeastern Wisconsin school district after her son contracted COVID-19 from a classmate. So right there, I'm kind of like, I'm not, how how did you identify that it was from a classmate? But that's apparently what the lawsuit says. The Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reports that the student's name um, or the parent here filed the lawsuit in federal court against the Waukesha School District and School Board on October 5th. According to the lawsuit, the board in May removed a student mask requirement and other COVID 19 mitigation measures. Mitigation measures, cleaning, right, high contact areas, testing for COVID, hand washing. Um, signage that uh, for social distancing, maybe having social distance markings up around the school. So if you're lining up in the lunchroom that things like that, so stuff like that. Um, so in this lawsuit or in this article, it goes on and says one of this, one of the son's classmates came to school with symptoms in September this year and didn't wear a mask. Jensen's son. Okay. Well, I'm just reading. For so Jensen's son was seated next to the sixth student and was wearing a mask, but still became infected. So, well, so anyway, like, uh, so other lawsuits are coming out like this. Um, This is, this is, um, get over. So other lawsuits in this blueprint, in the specific blueprint are coming out. And so if you are on a, so they're naming the school board. So every board of education member and And usually the administrator and sometimes um, other administrators, like if it's at a building, like they might name the high school principal because the principal, for example, would be charged with carrying out um, the mitigation, you know, processes in that building. So this is crazy. Um, It's crazy times because Board of Education, um, you know, members now are, having to deal with something that is called the the assumption here right legally would be that this is foreseeable so one is the student um you know has didn't die from this right so but you're you're saying basically that okay the school should have known better this is a foreseeable you know it's like a, a day when there's possible sleet and ice coming in and the school district didn't um, get people out to salt and sand and somebody slips and falls. Like, you knew this was going to happen. Like it was on the news and there was like alerts coming across. There's going to be like sleeting and stuff today. And you didn't, this foreseeable. So in tort law, now I'm not an attorney, but from a tort perspective, a civil perspective, this, this argument could be like, this is foreseeable, right? You have these kids together. You don't have them masked. You have these areas where they're together in close proximity homerooms, um, passing in hallway. I mean, pretty much everywhere in a school, right? Four or 500 kids, schools are built for economy, that you you should have anticipated that there would be, um, kids would be coming to school infected and they would be sharing that then with others, or staff, and they would be sharing it with others. And because you didn't take these COVID mitigation measures, one, masking, all right, this is what the, the suits again will are based upon masking, and other mitigation measures, such as social distancing and sanitizing, kids washing their hands, all of these things that I talked about before that you'd have to document, right? <laughs> so I talked with one administrator um, where their district was the recipient of litigation uh, very just recently, right, <laughs> with this matter. And I said, and he said, "What, are, what, what are we likely to be requested to provide in discovery? I mean, they're working with their own legal counsel and stuff." And I said, "Well, obviously, you know, like the things I'm talking about, like what discussions did you have with um, custodial about sanitizing areas? Um, what professional development did you do for social distancing with staff? How did you edu- educate students on social distancing?" was that, you know, through uh, assemb- well, assembly, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's do an assembly. Let's get 800 students on bleachers. But um, was it like a little, was it a video that you put together? That was a minute. I mean, all of these things, like you have to be thinking ahead because these are things which are going to show that you um, had reasonable efforts to make people aware. And, and how did you enforce this? Right. Were you, have, as teachers, if they were seeing students with this, were they reminding them? Were they providing masks uh, to them? I mean, what what were the ways that you're doing that? And I said, those are the things that you're going to be questioned. And I don't know where any of this will go at a court level, especially if everybody kind of gets litigated against, which is more or less happening in schools. which just r- r- big. <laughs> is big bowlers coming down on everybody right now. Um, but the but it's like if you have to be able to show that. You have to be able to, um, it, it, not that you know, all of these things can still happen even though you did reasonable mitigation efforts. But too many times, boards are just saying, "We're not going to deal with it," and and communities get aggressive at some of these meetings, right? They get really outspoken, um, and board members become intimidated, and they don't want to take these these issues on or really to have a full debate with them, but. So, the administrator was asking me, so what, you know, so Dave, if you were in my shoes, what would you do? And I said, well, <laughs> I, I, a few things I would do, right? Is I don't know what communication came out to you, said administrator, from your higher ups and from the board on this. Um, any meetings that you might have had, anything that you had. But I mean, it's kind of like, right? Like, here's another thing that is a downfall for a lot of uh, school administrators and schools is they get really poor guidance from their state organizations so they pay all of this money into these state organizations to be a member of and then the state organizations aren't saying hey like here are you know specific ways that you we recommend that you um check your compliance with social distancing and here are specific um, messaging. Here are some template letters that we have crafted, like with our legal counsel. And because you know you're a member, paying all of this money in and, and putting in this big pool of money that we have, and so we're going to try to help you out on this. No, that stuff isn't there. So people are just like, "Whoa!" And again, remember, as we went back to the start of this, um, it is it is the count. It's the counties who are really supposed to be at the lead of this, right? Who are supposed to be telling the districts you can be in person or not. Um, you should be wearing mask or not. And the county's pretty much faded away after they got pushed back. Um, so one of the administrators was was showing me and I said, well, what do you do? He said, the county gave me permission to look up um, contact tracing so I can find anybody like in the county and let them know if um, like uh, if they're, so if a kid was, was close contact with another kid, I can let the family know and, and all of that. And if the family says, like, well, our relatives were over, like, there's this whole process, like, in this this dashboard where you can do this at the county. And I said, well, how do you have access to that? Like, that sounds like something. <laughs> I've never had access to that. How did you, you, you come about this? So the county doesn't want to do it anymore. So they just, like, gave the school the password. <laughs> I'm like, holy smokes. Like, you're looking up everybody's personal information and you're being able to tag people through this n- network and say, hey, like, you know, you've been. You, you need to watch yourselves for symptoms and self-quarantine because you've been in close contact. And I'm like, that's not the way the system's supposed to work. I mean, that's, like, that's, that's completely crazy for that to happen. But yet, you know, it's kind of where these systems are at. So I think we're going to see more of these stories start to be revealed once these lawsuits come out. You're going to see how absolutely dysfunctional and just the white flag that was thrown up by the counties. And that's where I kind of go back on this right away is that, the, you know, the counties just bailed. Um, and then the districts just, they're like, you know, we don't know how to, to handle like this, like how are we supposed to contact trace and what are the expectations? And that's part of it. And the other part is like a district is saying, hey, a lot of money, we're just putting in an artificial turf here at our stadium, which they're not hiding, right? <laughs> they're just, they're not hiding that at all. Um, so so what what the lawsuits are also saying is that the di- districts failed to follow CDC guidance. Now the issue with that is right. The CDC guidance is just that—it's guidance. The CDC doesn't issue directives to school districts. Um, so from a legal standpoint, there—that's not going to hold. There's no obligation for a district to follow CDC recommendations. Um, now, what the the argument would be likely is, well, there there wasn't any state or local, you know, like county stuff, so this was they, at least they followed, they would have followed something, but I I doubt that's going to go very far, right? Because again, federal, there are a ton of federal recommendations working in school safety for, you know, 20 plus years, um, like federal recommendations. Hey, like you should lock your doors to your school. Like only one state requires, I think it's Georgia, like the rest of them don't. So the guidance argument is going to kind of fall apart, but here's where it'll start to unravel for school boards and schools. If schools don't show that they deliberated this topic, Right. If they just like said yes or no on a vote for mask, but they didn't document, they didn't deliberate um, things like, you know, how would we test in our school building if masks are making a difference? What do we how are we going to train not, or educate staff, professional development and students about mask and parents? Like if you can't show that, then yeah, I wouldn't want to be in that camp. Um, so. So, yeah, it's basically it's going to be discovery and discovery from a legal term of, of saying, yeah, let's show us your board minutes that you can document that this was, was happening. And, and uh, also, you know, administrator show us your professional development, any handbooks, any videos they are going to be asking, you know, kids this question too. So, um, you know, like, how did you, how did you know, like to wear a mask? How did you know where to stand in line? Like, was there any, when, how many times did you wash your hands during the day or what happened if somebody didn't have their mask off? Was it, was somebody coming in and, it's saying, "Hey, like you have to put your your mask on." So, I mean, all of these things will be be happening. So, this is, um, you know, f- for me as a school safety expert, this is a, a different area, right? Because in in school safety, where you had had weapons, for example, right? You know, that, the concern of somebody bringing a, a gun to school or ramming a school. There, there's going to be these devices that you would purchase bollards and cameras and, and those types of things, which were pretty hot selling tickets, but the, that was, that was largely effective or these, uh, door barricades or, you know, bizarre locking systems, window films, so they couldn't be shot out and stuff like that. But the likelihood is those systems would never be, uh, tested in a real authentic environment. And, Now it's different though, right? Because if you're in the school safety side and someone's saying, well, I'm going to sell you this backpack that'll, um, you know, you can spray this mist around, which is antiviral and things like that. Like if I'm selling that there's much more liability for me because it's likely that whether this is being used or not because of fidelity issues of all of the areas and surfaces and frequencies and keeping schedules of how often things are being cleaned and, and just the fact of our kids being compliant um, Staff being compliant, like I could, I could be in trouble with this, right? Like if if a district says, "Hey, like you know, you're you're litigating against us in this," but you know, we purchased two hundred thousand dollars worth of backpack sanitizers and the packs uh, to go around, or you know, virus stuff to go around, and our custodians have been doing that. So like, this company was telling us it was going to knock down the stuff, so you know, we don't know, or they said they would come in and assess it to see if it would. So those are the questions that are going to come up, and it's why these companies are kind of on the sideline. Think about it: if you go to a uh, a big box store like a home improvement store, have you gone down the aisle like the HVAC aisle wh- where the furnace filters are and seen end caps and displays and said, "Hey, like get your antivirus filter. Like here it is, you know, made by whatever company." And no. Like we haven't seen that we, but why not? If you saw it, if somebody marketed that and said, this is a, we're claiming that this decreases virus in your, you know, in the air in your home and stuff, people probably would buy it, right? That stuff would sell out. But why don't you have that? So, you know, some of the questions is one, it's hard to, to get product. Yes, that's part of it. But the other part is like, if you were to actually make things to that specification, it wouldn't work with home heating systems, right? Like if you were to put that in your house, it, your furnace would die. <laughs> it would burn out and then you'd be like, "I'm suing you because this filter made it too hard for my furnace to suck air through and and um and you know, so these companies are like, well, you know, we're going to sit this one out. And it it's it's absolutely um bizarre you know to me that we haven't seen kind of more targeted marketing so let me go over here into the chat and it is um bacon who said um masks are supposed to help um the facts we're all supposed to get doesn't work against it. everything is still open and there's no distancing so and that's the thing right like it is welcome cameron sanchez by the way welcome cameron sanchez um yeah, there isn't social distancing anymore. I mean, what was it? I wrote about it in my book. Was it, I think it was in May, like May 13th or something when the CDC basically said it's over, you know, and, you know, wear a mask if you haven't been vaccinated, but largely like everything else. And that lasted for a while. But, um, so yeah, this, this, this is really bizarre. Cubic feet per minute per minute sassed on how much air can go through. So that's, so right like there isn't uh, the companies aren't going to put something out there when they know that upon its immediate use if it destroys your furnace right your your furnace motor burns out they're going to hear about it the store is going to hear about it they're, so it's one thing if you're putting bollards in front of a school or a surveillance camera because if something goes wonky with that down the road it's it's distanced, right? Like the, from the time, the money, the check has been cashed and stuff. But I mean, you start selling like these MERV 13 furnace filters and you're not checking the airflow. I mean, you could be sued into oblivion. And not only that, the companies that sell these things, the home improvement stores would get a bad rap for that. So they don't want to deal with that. Um, and then of course, you know, schools like this whole thing of like standalone systems. Well, you got a million square feet <laughs> and you got a standalone ionizer, whatever it is. I mean, like, you know, we know that's how, not going to be effective. And also, we know environmental services isn't coming in to check this and saying, oh, yeah, like, it's decreasing the amount of virus and other things in the air. Like, they're not doing that, right? So it becomes this, this, this whole quandary for schools right now of, like, what should, what should be foreseeable? What should you have anticipated? What would be a reasonable attempt to mitigate that? And as I said, you know, wiping down, you had money. It's not that you didn't have money for this. You had millions of dollars. So, you know, would it have been the these these uh, antiviral laminates? Would it have been, um, you know, sanitizing these high contact areas more? I mean, what putting in sinks and bathrooms, soap, changing up your schedule in a school? Like, even if a school would come forward and if they were litigated against and said, you know, we did have masks and we... Right. We can't make, if, if somebody doesn't wear a mask we, and we would become aware of it, we would let them know we we're modeling mask wearing. And by the way, we changed our schedule to give longer time between hallway time breaks. And we had teachers encourage students then to use the restrooms and we had more hand sanitizers. It. I mean, if you're presenting something like that, it's like, that's a due diligence district. Like that's stewardship. Like they're trying to do things. Um, But so those will be the questions that are coming in on this um, is it's going to be very, very difficult also for parents to say back in five months ago, my child tested positive for COVID, had symptoms and because they were going to school. and, And so that, I mean, there isn't that level of contact tracing that exists in these places. So what they're going to try to do, right, is just to say that a school passed a uh, made a decision to either uh, mask or not mask, and then never did any testing to see if it was effective. It's it's both ways. Like if you mask, just because you mask doesn't mean that the school would be safer, right? Because unless you're taking data, unless you environmentally test, unless you're testing the air, unless you're testing surfaces, you don't really know, right? You don't, you you wouldn't know. So, these will be the parts that will will come into play. I can tell you the states will be like, "Whoa, like we don't want any part of this. We don't want to. We don't want to jump into this. They're going to wait for the Fed to try to make some decision." I don't know if the Fed will make any decision, but if um, if they do, and kind of, I think as what was it, as SAS was saying, like we, I mean, do you really want the Fed, the U.S. Department of Ed, to jump in and and mandate? Um, environmental safety in the schools um do you do you i mean do you really do you want that um and, and and what would that look like and i you know i again i don't i don't know um so the the anxiety right now that i experience when i instruct uh, school leaders is they're saying you know if, if i'm named in litigation right <laughs> if i'm the principal here and someone sues us and, and says somebody contracted, covid and it's because of the environment we were in even if we were masked, let's say they believe it happened at school because everybody was masked but they weren't socially distanced so maybe they're all in a music room or something um you know if you're trying to find another job while you're being litigated against something like this good luck it's not happening um you, you know no place is going to hire you on if something like this is pending especially when it's, it's going to be framed that there was potentially some foreseeable negligence by the district, even if it's proven. I'm saying this is all, these are claims like allegedly, allegedly, but the suits have been filed and there's gonna be many, many more in, in the works. Like um, there's a almost like a pack um, that is funding some of this. So we're going to, I would say in my state, so we have 421 districts. I would guess by Christmas, half of those will have lawsuits filed against them in this blueprint. Um, so again, you know, what, what do you do? And and if you're a parent, like, what do you do? So as a parent, like I'm suffering, I'm not suffering this fatigue, but I, I this is fatigue of, I literally get, um, two to three messages every school day from my kids' schools. And it's like, Hey, you know, check your email. And then you go and it's like, your child was in close proximity to a child who tested positive for COVID. If your child is exhibiting symptoms, please keep him or her home and have them test it. And if they test positive, then other members of your family that go to school should stay home until a certain number of days, 10 days or a negative test or whatever it is, but you just get inundated with that. And it's like, it doesn't mean anything after a while, right? It's a it's a cover your butt type of thing and it loses its, its effectiveness. Um, so I'm like, yeah, like, how do you, and the only reason they know, right, is because someone says I tested positive for COVID or I'm not, I'm not in, I'm not coming to school because I tested positive. So then they go back and they look at the schedule <laughs> and they're like, where were you second hour or are you eighth hour? Okay. Or who's, who's your homeroom if you're elementary. Okay. So these are the kids that you were with. And so then they send out a notice. And, um, but the thing is like parents then just lose, you know, it's, 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 that thing, you just get inundated with in- information too much where it just loses its meaning. And, hey, it's Mike Honcho. It is Mike Honcho. My goodness. Holy smokes. It is Mike. Hon- it, is it really Mike Honcho from over at CRS? If so, man, that is pretty amazing. And by the way, like I have to get up to uh, CRS sometime. I don't know if you still have a giant spider. It was in the background of your videos last year. But I do need that for Halloween because I do have another giant spider here. But I only have one. And I need the other one. So if it's up there, I gotta I gotta make a trip there and sting that giant spider. So I don't know, I don't know. Um, so yeah, it it is crazy. So so again, kind of a you know of, of where we're at with this is it's a damn break, d a m break right now for litigation. It was going to happen at some point, and now it's happening, and it is this massive group of parents all in the same template coming forward and saying schools. Listen, like you should have known um, better. This was foreseeable. If kids and staff weren't wearing masks, people are going to get COVID, and so that's part of it. But again, like even if you wore a mask, and it, you know, it's like, well, maybe there was a time when the fourth grader didn't have his mask on, or you didn't have mask at recess, or there somebody on the bus, the kids weren't wearing mask, and no one was enforcing it. So there, all these situations will come out. Schools are going to have to really get on their game. They're going to have to to sit down right now. Like, and this is one thing I've been helping a few districts with. (laughs) Not trying to to help them evade this, but just say I'm just trying to give them a prep of saying like, here's what to anticipate in discovery. Right? Like, I've been through discovery, um, working in you know with um, legal cases and things, and I said, here's likely what they're going to ask for. So if you have any professional development with this, and and if I I don't think we're far away from seeing school districts who will immediately then turn around and, and litigate against the County. And they'll, they'll, they'll bring in this triangle, right. They'll say like, we're being litigated against because we we had to make a judgment because the County didn't do their job of advising us on this, Um, you know, like our COVID numbers and the community and, and coming in and, and off, you know, setting up testing sites and doing that. So like, we're not going the ship's not going down alone here like we're taking the county down with us so i would be i would expect in some cases or or some lawyer will figure this out or they'll watch this and be like god dave's got a good idea there um and they'll go right back and say listen this is neglecting because of you neglecting your duty we did the best we could but you know (laughs) it's like trying to put out your your neighbor's house with a fire hose and then they they sue you you know they're like you've you didn't do a good job. Like, yeah, you put too much water on this side. And if you would have put it in, on the roof and whatever, it, it would have survived and be like, well, I called the fire department, but you know they didn't come out here. So I did the best I could. <laughs> like, if, um, this is kind of not my area. Like here, you know, working this, trying to put your house up with, a, with a hose. Um, and and so it's kind of, you know, that's, that's like an analogy, right? Of, you know, we, you're looking for this, the county. And the county then should be expending resources to come in and, and objectively Assess this type of and they should be in charge of contact tracing. They shouldn't be giving the password over to a school district I honestly I so yeah, I was, I was instructing a legal class and one of my students said who is <laughs> You know in in this role in a district and, and he said hey, you want me to bring it up on the screen? I said god. No, like don't bring it up on the on the screen but like if is if this is authentically happening um yeah, like, sh- I guess show me the, the interface. And the, so at least I have an awareness of what you're, and also like, dude, do you want to take on the responsibility of, of doing this? And he's like, well, I, I think I'm, you know, it's better that I do it than not get done. I said, yeah, but I mean, it, again, it's like, this is you've, you've, is this, Something you should even be be dabbling in here, this magic science of trying to figure out contact tracing and, and using this this network. I mean it's like a Ouija board. I mean, you never know what you're going to release with this thing. I mean, it's just crazy. So yeah, my concho says, yeah, then they'll sue for water damage. Yeah. So I had a scenario, it was like two years ago. My neighbors, the windows were open on their house and they were they were gone. It was like midday and their their fire alarm, you know, the smoke alarm was going beep, beep, beep 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 i'm looking over and i'm like that's coming from their house so i start walking around their house and you know they've got the the cameras outside and stuff so i'm like oh if you see me i'm like i'm hear like a beeping noise i'm just trying to figure out your house is on fire so i'm like do i call the fire department i don't see any smoke (laughs) i mean like i'm pretty sure like we're in good shape here because like um but you know so monitoring their house for like 45 minutes until like you know the batteries die or whatever but i like, should be calling 911 or, you know, uh, what, what what's the protocol? What's the protocol here? I'm not really sure what to do, but I was used to be a firefighter, so I'm kind of thinking, you know, the windows were open. It's a two story building with the draft. Like that building, if the house wasn't really starting to show any smoke in 45 minutes, are probably good. So, um, but yeah, I did tell him like, yeah, hey, it was over, and uh, yeah, your your smoke alarm, so it's kind of monitoring your house. So if you see me on your surveillance, I wasn't scoping out the place. <laughs> I was just listening for the smoke, the smoke, the smoke alarm, whatever you got going on there. Like, you know, something something's wrong. So <laughs> but um but yeah, it's it's just crazy. So let, let's get into SAS too many. So SAS um wrote uh contact uh tracing is the gateway drug to social credit scores. And you know what? Um I I posted um quite extensively about social credit scores um in other people's threads, right? <laughs> in other people's forums, like so um and discussions hey sir brian bowden from new york brian brian by the way i wrote a chapter about brian in in the book the velocity of information so there's a company that printed this off for me so this is actually going to be in hard copy um paperback ebook and um audio audio book so that's uh that's cool so it'll have a different design to it too, like um, I send this out to a lot of people. Who are like, is that actually the design? Is that your cover? I'm like, yeah, it's just a concept design. But the book is done. Like, this is actually the done, the completed book with 471 end notes and it's 255 pages and graphics stuff. But Brian, I interviewed Brian Bowden, um, and there's a chapter um, about Brian in the book. And when he was in, well, still in New York City, right, Brian, and he was he was going out and talking during the onset of the lockdowns in New York of like, what was happening, you know, like what's happening in stores and there's just, it's a really great chapter. One of the quotes from Brian is the best quote in the book. He said, um, it's like a it, going into a store in March of 2020 where he lives in New York was like, uh, David Byrne, the talking heads where people just kind of shuffle their way back from you. Like, I don't want to be by you because you might have a virus and whatever. Um, but yeah, real—it's—it's uh, it's a terrific chapter. It's, it's great. So thankful uh, to Brian for that. Um, so Sans was saying, you know, this gateway to social credit scores. Well, the reality is, I've I posted pretty aggressively on social credit scores because um, it does seem right that if you're, <laughs> there are so many indicators right now that are kind of coming into this um, fiscal. Um, Monitoring right, six hundred dollar transactions and contact tracing where you are and where you've been. Um, Anyway, social credit scores. If you you go on and look for Tom Scott, did a video on YouTube in two thousand eighteen, December two thousand eighteen, about social credit scores. It's a fiction one, and actually, I think Tom, (laughs) I think I was commenting on it of saying, you know, this is pretty accurate to how this would actually be rolled out. Of You know if you how you would up your score your score would be public under his fictional video so let's say it was zero to a hundred so like if you're in the 80s like that would be good you'd be able to um uh, you know get loans for a vehicle you'd be able to to travel and you know these other things but if your score dropped below a certain level kind of like it doesn't if it doesn't china like you, you don't have access like to the train if your score drops below 70 or something so then how do you keep your score up? What are things that you do to keep your score up? Well, some of it is compliance, right? And, or, you know, volunteering or, or things like that. And and there's, there's also this thing of like disassociation. So like if you have a relative or friend or whatever, and, um, you know, they are uh, in trouble with the law or they're being non-compliant with areas we're being asked to be compliant in and, and you would file this formal note of disassociation to increase your score because you're no longer associated with them. So it is, it is pretty, pretty scary stuff. Um, and I know, t- so Tom Scott put in his, in his video, which is only, I think like seven minutes long. Um, it's really, it's really good. Um, social credit scores, Tom Scott, YouTube. So he put in his video, like, Hey, there's been a lot of like conspiracy theorists Like have said that this is authentic and it's not. And I'm thinking it's a kind of like a shout out to, so <laughs> to me. Like I, I, I never said this was authentic, Tom, but I am saying, you know, again, as a PhD researcher, that what you've laid out here is a pretty close model for how people might follow or how this might actually roll out. Um, So it is, it is weird. Like you could actually, for example, you could do, it's not a big step in a school system to say, hey, we would do a pseudo social credit score for our students, right? If you're wearing your mask um, during the day and you wash your hands twice, um, you know, you get one point for the day. And if, you know, whatever, if, if you're not wearing your mask and you get a get a reminder, you know, for that, then there's a, you know, there's an entry that's made and you lose uh, point 0.2 points or whatever. I mean, you could, you, it wouldn't take long to put together some kind of system saying, you know, you want to be up in this range of so many points. And then if you are there, we will periodically, you know, have ice cream at lunch or we'll do drawings for school apparel or a Peace hut certificate or whatever. And, and uh, you'll be in the running for that. You know, like school's kind of do that with attendance anyway, especially at high school. Like, you know, I think one high school, they they a couple of years ago, they, if you had, um, attendance where you missed like two days or, you know, two days, one days or no, you didn't miss any, you were in the drawing for like a truck <laughs> and the district said, well, guess what? Like us paying at that time, maybe $20,000 for this truck was less than paying a truancy officer and going to court and these other things, which, you know, this may be causing us 45,000. And so we're going to put this carrot out there of a truck. So you can find that. Like if you find it, put it in the comments somewhere. Cause I would, I'd be pretty interested to, <laughs> To read that story again, but um, so going back, um, so Mictibus um, wrote lots of public record sites out there already trying to aggregate a score for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So like that's uh, and, and uh, you know any of the the credit agencies, right? Like we all have credit scores. I mean, it, it's to, and the other thing is GIS data, global information systems. I wrote, I, I talked about this on PBS that you know all of us have car insurance right or property insurance but let's say car insurance like the the car insurance company knows how many vehicles get stolen a year where you're at how many hailstorms there are floods and all they, they know all of that they have they know it down to not only your zip code but down to your neighborhood um so this information is really really starting to come in so um Brian Bowden wrote, we are in the midst of a revolution against the social monster. So yeah, I, I wrote about Hobbes Leviathan in School of Heirs, Hobbes Leviathan. So Hobbes was um, from England in the 16th century saying, you know what, eventually these, these companies or government, right, His government gets too big. <laughs> like people want some government, um, but then it gets too big and you have to decide how you're going to take on the Leviathan. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, I would, have, I would have never thought we would be at this point of, of this type of, of government um, uh, mandates or, or, or dictates, right, of saying um, you, the moratorium on um, evictions and stuff like that. And, and again, coming back to where we're at with the school money, the billions of dollars going out to school, the fact that there was virtually no guidance on that. I mean, again, like I talked about a a school that put in artificial turf on their football field and just said, yeah, well, then kids can be out on the field more because the regular turf (laughs) is not accessible throughout the year as much because it rains and it gets muddy and stuff like that. And I'm like, whoa, like that actually worked like in my years as an administrator, you had to come up with a much better (laughs) argument than that, too you know, to have that fly. I'm like, how in the world did this go? Like, how is that not challenged? And they're like, no, oh, it's too bad. You know, it's too bad. It's there. Um, so let's see, um, the bacon writing or Cameron wrote, there'll be a competition on who can get the lowest score. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, or if they'll just like, if you get below like 50, it won't show anymore. Um, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of funny. Um, there'll be a competition on who can get the lowest score. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah um bacon um make the wrote any algorithm can be exploited certainly right and like on my vehicles right now i mean one of the things you know w- when i purchased my vehicles i remember the you know the dealership saying um a benefit is like teen driver like you can track everywhere the vehicle has been and all this other stuff i'm like oh like really <laughs> yeah just go in and you can print it all off and like even if i'm not you know so i'm like okay that they have that the insurance companies have i mean like all of this stuff i mean all of the vehicles have the the audio in them right now and and things like that is it's really a weird and what would it take to shut something like that down right where you just don't you can't get your vehicle to start because it's a code's been sent out and it's like you're not driving that day you've hit your carbon credit i mean it's kind of bigger things john Steele at the safety doc podcast would you What do you think of Aaron's suggestion that the UNVAC should wear a yellow star when in public? I didn't hear that. I listened to a couple of Aaron's podcasts recently though. Um, So I talked, so I, right. Um, Obviously I don't think anybody, I I don't think anybody should, um, I'll go back to Clay Martin's um, concrete jungle, right? So Clay Martin's book concrete jungle where he said, don't show your affiliations in public. And that was a time a couple of years ago of saying, you know, don't don't because you never know how someone is going to perceive that and whether they're going to um, take out violence on you or, you know, you put some bumper sticker on your car of like NRA or whatever. You come back and your tires are slashed, your windows are smashed out. So he's just saying, you know, don't advertise your affiliations because you don't know and you don't know how right someone is going to respond to that law enforcement. If there's any video and how that might be framed, I mean, so. His best thing was to kind of stay gray man so like that's why it's now I talked to uh one of my friends in Germany a couple of days ago because there was a, the news article saying in Germany people were actively wearing uh like the yellow star in public to identify if they were unvaxed and he said yeah that's not very prevalent but he said it is a wristband that people are wearing so that's different like he's no it's it's a wristband <laughs> it's not it's not this thing I'm like I'm I don't know if they have to if they're required to do that if it's voluntary or Um, but yeah, and so this comes into a question for school, right? The, what if schools said as a solution, a school board comes together and they said, listen, if a student can't provide documentation of vaccination now in my state, that's not required, it's required in California, right? With in there are exemptions that, but let's say that a school board, your, uh, your closest level of government can be more restrictive. They say, listen, we, we are not going to allow Anybody in unless they can prove um, that they've been vaccinated. If you haven't been vaccinated, you're going to wear, yeah, um, this band. And, and that way we can identify, if we're, we will co- we will test you every day that you come in. We will do a rapid test. That would be wild, right? Like, But I think some people will start to go there. Some school boards are, are going to really be panicked by these lawsuits. You're a board of education member. You know, you're maybe making, maybe... Maybe making two thousand dollars a year by surfing on a board. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I mean that might be generous, but you might be making two thousand dollars. So, like, you can be you can be sued individually. Most boards have insurance. Most board members are told to have additional insurance. But you know, this this might be what their legal might tell them. Okay, go really restrictive then. But then, how does that? How what does that look like for FERPA rights? What does it look like for HIPAA rights? Like, I shouldn't know um, somebody else's health status just walking in and out of a school. Like I, I shouldn't I shouldn't know if a child has a seizure um, disorder or has type one diabetes and might I mean I these this but so these questions are are out there now the part is like you would think in a functioning situation, functioning society, this would this would be litigated, right? This would go to the, the circuit courts, <laughs> go to local court, get kicked up to a circuit court, and they would make a ruling on it. But they're not doing it. They're kind of like, you know, we're not taking this stuff on right now. Um, and the other part with schools is the um, open records request. So freedom of information. And I, ta- I was talking with an attorney today about this. And I, I used this as a case study Saturday when I was teaching. And I said, you know what? There are a lot of districts right now. And I gave examples, small districts, 1,000, 2,000 kids. They get a request for information. um, How how many staff, how many students um, notified you that they had tested positive for COVID? And they're like, in order for us to release that, you have to pay us $15,000 because we have to have our head of IT do that. And it's going to take this many hours and we have to redact information. So they, they put up this prohibitive number which of course their legal is telling them to do, and they're like, okay, like if you don't agree to that, you can appeal to us, the district, and the district can say, no, this is what it costs, because we need this person to do it. Now, district is supposed to say the the person with the the least amount of cost associated with being able to access those records so that understands confidentiality and stuff like this but some districts will they'll just go like they'll say it has to be this person who's making 150,000 dollars a year and we'll amortize it to an hourly rate or something and whatever but um so these it, it's crazy so so then the the person making the request can bump it up and this is like newspapers too like in, and sometimes there's attorneys involved and they'll be like they can bump it up and they can try to get it to a county to pressure the school. So, school has 15 days to respond. They have like 45 days to, to, of what they're gonna do in like 45 days to comply. And then, but the counties will say, we're not taking this on. Like, we've got other stuff going. <laughs> so, school, this, this is not a big issue. And we're not gonna put our necks out for this. And, and so then, like, if you can't get it there, if you're trying to get it to a uh, state court or you're trying to, like, kick it up to a, a circuit court (laughs) so it's just not happening like attorneys are saying we're not dealing with this um and these courts are like you know we've got other things going on so the priority is gone and districts know this so they they know that they can put this barrier up and the attorneys know it and it's it's happening all over like i didn't have one case study like i brought up numerous from my state um just recently uh, of districts of of coming up with these huge numbers of saying if we if you want this information it's going to cost you this much Um, so there's also this thing of, of, you don't have to, um, there, there aren't consequences for not complying with the law. Now, when you have board meetings, board of education meetings, they're supposed to be noticed. (laughs) There's something called an open part of the meeting and a closed meeting. There are conditions for that. There's this thing called Robert's rules of order, right? Of how to run a, a meeting and things like that. And, and that's not being followed either in a number of places. Like they're holding meetings they'll address, uh, a mask mandate and it won't be on the agenda. <laughs> so they'll just be like, Oh, well, we're hoping we don't get a lot of people to oppose this. So, um, you know, because we didn't put it on the agenda, we're just, we'll bring it up at the meeting and we'll vote on it. And then we'll just quick, quickly exit. And, and I've, I've, I've watched some of those meetings where they've been recorded. I watched one uh, that happened on September 28th in my state. And it happened just like that. And it was completely out of order. And one person on the board was kind of like, Hey, I'm not sure like, this is the process. I'm like, boom, adjourned, gone. and, so it's that thing too there's there's this lack of accountability um states aren't pressing down state department of education pretty much vanished gone as far as trying to to do oversight to this the feds aren't going to regulate the states so you know when districts feel that they can this is this is the mode of operating they can i don't want to say get away with it but it kind of is is that they don't have to have fidelity in how they're running their board meetings and um, this fiduciary responsibility to stewardship for the millions of dollars individual districts are getting for COVID relief. Um, it's its its really kind of unraveling, like for me as a career in this area to just see it all of a sudden, just kind of go, <laughs> just kind of gone. Um, so let's go over here into uh, Mike Honcho. Good Good chat, man. Uh, you have a good night. Thank you, Mike Hancho. And if you do have that giant spider, you know how to get a hold of me, and I know how to get a hold of that giant spider. Um, Cameron. Uh, so the bacon. The, the rumor mill has it that COVID replaced all other diseases and sickness. Um, so yeah, I noticed today, right? <laughs> I I noticed today like the, the the message came out with aspirin, not the message. I don't know, I think it's from the FDA, right? Saying hey, like that th- we're telling you to take aspirin if you're elderly. Um, the microdose of aspirin. You don't have to do that anymore. It doesn't help you out. Like what the hell? Like you gotta be kidding. And it, Honestly, yesterday morning I went shopping and I bought, I had aspirin on my list and I bought aspirin just for that purpose, you know, of taking the regular microdose of aspirin. So I'm like, that was, that's been around for like 20 years. Right. I mean, you can put it in the, the chat if you, but, and now you're not supposed to take aspirin. So, you know, it was really weird. It's really weird messaging going out. Um, Sast wrote, uh, we got a taste of it last year with the kids being stuck at home. You need the ability to have one parent not work. It's full-time job, at least with the younger kids. Yeah, so, and that's that's the thing um, with these school boards is, is schools are realizing, you know, they come into this year and they're like, we're going to offer in-person for parents that want in-person. We're going to offer remote for kids that want remote. And I'm like, ooh, like that that model's not going to work because you you don't have additional staff um, how are you going to make this happen? All of these different sections of what's happening at a, at a virtual and an in-person and, um, and then you just start to see schools toggle on and off. Like we're going to have in-person and suddenly we're going to have a, a week off or they'll say like, we're going to have a week off so we can sanitize the school. Well, <laughs> good luck with that. Like, because it's really the moment the kids come back in the school, school would be impacted again. So it is, it's just, it's crazy uh, from that, standpoint. And, and this is where I think it's, it's, it gets, gets really shaky, really fast for schools, right? If, if it starts to, if the argument starts to be proven or a couple examples are made by schools publicly by lawyers of these parents where they're like, you know, we asked the school, um, if they identified areas of, of surfaces, if they sampled for COVID in the schools that they didn't. And you know it's not in their board minutes and their environmental and and they just flat out said they didn't. We said, do you do this for mold? And they said yes. Do you do this for MRSA? And they said yes. But you don't do this for COVID. Is there a reason you don't do it for COVID? And uh, you know, and again, like again, you could subpoena. You could bring in a company, any company, and they that does environmental in this area. And a lot of them now advertise specifically that they provide this service and say, environmental company that you've worked with this district, correct? Right. This district contracts you to. Assess for mold in mold bores in the air, like in the HVAC systems and MERS and all of that. And you do that. Yes, have they kind con- have they contacted you about um, virus, or have you made that uh, service aware to them or whatever? And you know, it's be like, we haven't, been, we haven't been contacted, we haven't been contracted. District, you've received <laughs> x number of million dollars. Um, tell us why. Uh, uh, help us to understand why you have. I you know done this testing for mold and done this testing for MRSA and you haven't done this testing for COVID right? Tell just help us. So imagine like you're trying to have this discussion, and it's going to be the attorneys for the district is probably going to you know try to fumble something together you know for that. Um, But that I mean from a public relations standpoint, it really looks bad for a district to not be able to answer that, especially if you're a district where you're like, but we have really nice football field. <laughs> like we're seven and two this year because of the artificial turf um, it, it's, so then again, it becomes this thing, it's called foreseeable tort. Again, I'm not an attorney, but we, I do cover this in my classes, foreseeable tort. Um, could could the argument be made that because schools would be in session, 400 kids in a building in close proximity and hallways and lunch and that, that You would have anticipated, um, you know, contamination of these, these areas. And then what would you do to identify that contamination and what would you do to mitigate it? And then also to test that whatever you're doing to mitigate it works as having some impact. And if it's not, then how would you pursue additional mitigation? And that's the mistake these boards go through when they hire or, or they ask these doctors to come in they contact the clinics and say come in and tell everybody why they should wear a mask and the doctors come in and they do their presentations and that just that just kills trust right with people in the audience uh, community members parents and stuff because it's very clear that's called positionality that's the school bringing in the big hammers to basically hammer down the point of we know more than you and you know here's the uh, three doctors who are going to tell you to wear a mask and You don't have, again, your environmental people coming in saying, here's what we're going to do to, here's, or or even like, here's mitigation things. Like, here's a, here's a new, um, spray that we're going to use, or here's some way that we're going to test on aerosols or here's some new, you know, whatever it is. Like, those are the people I would trust. Not that I wouldn't trust the doctors necessarily, but I want to hear from those people. I want to be like, how are you actually going to pull this off on buses (laughs) and in schools and during basketball games when people are in a gym and running up? How are you actually going to pull this off and how are you going to measure it instead of just having like, you know, the three doctors come in and say, yeah, you got to be masked up. And then the question comes in with the doctors, right? The follow-up question would be, how do you determine what is an effective mask? like raise my hand, like how, uh, I I could imagine. I mean, how, how do you determine what's an effective, well, mass should be whatever, but how do you determine that? Like, is there actually a way when a kid comes in, 400 kids, right? As they walk through the door that they could do some type of like, well, breathe out or deep breath in, deep breath out. And you could have some machine that measures, none of that exists. It could exist, right? But, or is it then your responsibility to say, if you want to come in, you know, as board of education, you're having students come in, you're going to provide, a mask each day in the mask will meet this criteria, right? So we, you have inter student reliability, inter staff reliability. You don't have someone taking a pair of underwear with a rubber band as a mask. Right. Um, so at least you would have that. At least you could come forward and say, well, God, Dave, that's expensive. Yeah. But you got like millions of dollars from your relief fund that you spent on your football field and your weight room and other stuff. I mean, It's no, well, we couldn't get the stuff. I know that's not accurate because I know that the vast number of administrators I've talked with have indicated, yes, they do have access to those supply, you know, those supplies. Um, And if you couldn't get those supplies and right, you're, you're trying to get them. And I mean, then at least you could document too that, you know, we were trying to get these supplies and we couldn't get them. So then it becomes a supply issue for the county or the state or the federal government to work on but you can kind of see where this stuff goes and it's unraveling very, very quickly. So what's going to happen? Our schools, schools will quickly, schools will quickly, right. Are going to go to mask mandates. Like they're going to see what's happening to the districts around them and be like, I don't want to be involved in what's happening over there. Like a board of education where someone is, is making, you know, um, $200 a month to be, on a, on a school board is, is going to be like, I don't want to be involved in this massive litigation and, and be tied up in this. And it's not like you can, re- you know, the other thing is like the school board member could say like, I'm done, you resigned. Well, you were there when the decisions were made. You're still culpable. You're not getting your name removed off of that lawsuit. So, you know, this, It so the question, you know, comes up of, of you know who's going to be running for these boards and these situations and, and oh my God it, it gets so crazy but you're going to see mass mandates I think there's this well I don't think but I mean there's this wide open opportunity for vendors to come in environmental vendors and really push into districts and make it overt um, or even uh, you know if I was if I was an environmental vendor and I'm marketing myself I would go right to the local news. In these districts, and I would say, listen, we offer this service, and I and make it so it is social proof, so it is um, per, you know perception of value that we can offer this service. I mean, I think, I think right now, in some meeting rooms or some virtual Zoom rooms or Skype rooms or whatever around the country, like these meetings are happening right now, saying we have an opportunity here in the next couple of weeks to come in and really position ourselves as as the people that can get a handle on this. And sell our products and whatever. And whether there's merit to that, I don't, I don't know. I think I think a lot of these environmental services are are on the up and up. You know, they they know the equipment, they've like, you know, the the mold and MRSA mitigation. I mean, when they get involved in that, like they do a very thorough job and they're very skilled at doing their presentations. So we did these additional samplings of whatever in the Petri dish and whatever, you know, it's it's not there's some science behind that. It's not like putting bollards or a, just a surveillance camera. So that's going to that's going to be happening, um, and, and then this big thing of our parents going to be sending kids to school. You know, when this stuff hits the media more, are you going to see um, pulling out for homeschool or into you know charter school settings, which might be smaller? I mean, this is this will happen rapidly, <laughs> and you're and you're going to have districts right now who are thinking, oh God, like it's it's winter, in you know, northern part of the U.S. We got to close the doors down. We got to shut the the windows and stuff like that. Is it better that we just from november to february if we just go online again just for the fact that then we can say you know we don't have kids in the building and we don't have contact um so is that a move that districts are going to go with but this is all of these things are suddenly on on the table again um so let me go back to the back to the chat um um Mictavis wrote the only thing that bothers me about this whole discussion is that we're all assuming that the coof is a real threat which it has been proven many times that so yeah obviously I, I, I am not going to be able to comment on on that um, I think Mictavis, though right I mean something that is is completely absent in the school dialogue is saying that the virus lasts, this long on this surface or it's aerosol based for this long like those two things like you think everybody would know like that would be so redundant it would be in commercials (laughs) it would be out in flyers to people um like and you know like we that was there for MRSA and for mold like people were very aware of how long those things lasted and and you know things like there and to be this far into the situation we're in and to not have those two things of saying hard surface, here's a hard surface, here's a desk and 48 hours and aerosol 27 hours, right? Like to not have those numbers is peculiar because it seems that you would have those numbers that they would be produced from government or even environmental sources right like, like somebody those numbers would just be out there and pretty easy to to find at this point like you think you'd have that um but so so that's where i'm like how how why isn't that there like right so why why isn't that information there i mean like you know we all know like don't leave <laughs> don't leave uh salad with mayonnaise out for you know 3 hours in the sun let's see you, you know want to get salmonella and be home for the next week. I mean, uh, th- this is weird stuff. Like, why isn't, why isn't that information there? Um, and Bacon wrote, um, uh, let's see here. uh we're still awaiting So let's go to SAS. SAS, I believe the Rip Ear float disease. So, hey, you watch pop. Um, and Aaron, was a, a bioweapon accidentally released in the world? Um, so, I mean, right, so... Who knows? I mean, I, all of the, so even, I mean, even if we take all of that out of the, out of that equation, trying to figure out an etiology of what, of, of really where this got. if we just take like where we're at today and just practices for flu, right? For, for a, a, let's say an aggressive flu season. When I was an administrator, we made sure that we had plenty of soap. We ordered extra soap. We had breaks for kids. Throughout all of the buildings extra time to, to, we actually made videos. We, we, um, the kids made videos and it was these, um, where they would do the ABC song, ABC, D, E, F, G, H, or, or like Marietta Line, whatever it was. And they would, they would make a video where they would be washing their hands. And the thing was like, make sure you wash your hands for this long. We actually, we, we had black light boxes. The high school made them. The high school shop made a black light box and um, took them down to the elementary schools and would have kids wash their hands and then put their hands into this black light box, right? <laughs> Which took a day to make. I mean, just a high school kid, you know, they figure this stuff out. And then you could look inside through a, a, a plexiglass thing and you could see your hands. If your hands were like glowing, it still meant you had like bacteria or stuff on it. So you had to go back in and soap up. It was really effective, right? Kids could see that and be like, whoa, like... You know, I'm a, I'm a second or third grader. I got to do a better job washing my hands. Um, so like those are the type of things as I talk about, I'm like, why am I not hearing about that now? Like nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about um, teaching hand washing, even timers for hand washing. Like why isn't there a vendor that has something where once a kid walks up to a sink in a school, just like the the water goes on when you put the hand underneath, why isn't there something that starts to play a song right or and and so that's gives you an idea for how long you're supposed to I mean like maybe I'm coming up with a great idea and someone's gonna take it and run with it here but um, but those types of things are completely missing right now and the, the things that we would just do in a traditional uh, school year right but I remember my school nurses reporting to me that hey we have less absenteeism in this year, at these buildings or these grade levels. And, you know, it was relational. I mean, it wasn't a scientific study, but we thought it was relational to the fact that we had upped our hand washing and upped our uh, sanitizing stations. Like we <laughs> put them all over, you know, the buildings and we, you know, refilling them and stuff like that. Cause I'm like, you know, I'd rather have, I'd rather put some money into that than to, you know, have uh, kids out because they're sick and staff out because they're sick. And, but it's like, right, those types of things. And again, like people be like, well, that sounds great. And, you know, but we, we didn't do that. Well, why not? Like, why not? You had the money, you had those resources available. Again, I talked to environmental services vendors who said, yeah, those types of things are out there. Um, You wouldn't have had trouble getting those in. And I mean, it's soap, right? (laughs) So, and it's, it's amazing to me. And these are the types of things where in discovery and a legal process, schools will be likely asked by the opposing legal counsel for to demonstrate mitigation measures and those would be mitigation measures remember that black that black box thing i mean those were i remember the high school students that put that together and and first you know they showed it to me and said hey like and the teacher the tech ed teacher said yeah we we could well we'll talk to the principals and you know we'll go school to school and we can do this this lesson and we can have like a visual timer on it too. And all this stuff. I mean, it, it was pretty snappy to put together. I mean, it wasn't building a rocket and then we put it in the newsletter and, you know, got it out to parents. And so if you haven't hit the, uh, if you haven't hit the thumbs up, um, please do that. Look at this now. So um, hit the thumbs up. I would appreciate that. Subscribe to the channel. Um, i like to, you know, get the, the channel. Back. Oh, by the way, here. Yes, there's my book, School of Airs, which is still an awesome book. Came out in 2019. School of Airs: Rethinking School of Safety in America, 2019. Uh, the new book will be out. Should be in February, um, hopefully. So let me let me do this. I I didn't. Re- it's been a little while since I've since I've done this. Um, so, right, like I'm sorry that I'm one hour and forty minutes into a podcast and I realize, hey, I couldn't put people's Comments up. <laughs> Been a while, right? So, um, but so from Bacon, hey, this reminds me of seeing the ABCs. While I was washing my hands, I and mean, apparently the rest of the population uh, ever did. So, so yeah, like these are not. So I, I wrote about this in the Velocity of Information too, of like there's a lot of common sense things that we've always done, which suddenly no one talked about <laughs> during COVID, right? We never, we didn't come back to school. Um, we talked about all those freaky stuff coming back to school was of desks that have to be six feet apart and then they're 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 roped off or, or they're, they have some uh, plexiglass around them and they have yellow tape on the floor that you don't step out of your area like all that stuff was was pretty prevalent on youtube and i have quite a few copies of that when it stuff was coming out but it wasn't hey like you know we're gonna ramp up hand washing again um, none of that was out there and it's kind of like well why like how in the world did we miss that or even at the start of the pandemic or like <laughs> how did we not um, have a national campaign in, in March of saying, Hey, like everybody, like, um, we want you to increase your hand-washing, you know, you're showing people hand-washing your celebrities hand-washing instead of saying, Hey, like, you know, I'm, I'm a celebrity and here's a formula for disinfecting my phone. Cause phones are the most uh, gross thing with, you know, bacteria and stuff. It's like, it's your phone. Like, it's not a community phone, right? It's your phone. So that doesn't really hold up like that story, you know, this whole thing, but like the hand-washing, right? Of how, uh, so like uh, I wrote about it in velocity of information There's weird stuff that was missing in in all of this. And, and to this day is missing. <laughs> like I work with a lot of people who work in schools and administrative roles. And I'll say, did you, um, you know, did, are, are you increasing your hand washing?" like, yeah, that's a great idea. I'm like, it shouldn't be coming from me. Like that should have been internal. It should have been from your organizations right away or the, the school nurse for the state, you know, contacting districts and having some kind of campaign. Like we don't see it on commercials. Like, you know, wash your your hands. I mean, it's it's everything else but that. Hey, it's Moose Ma- Gals Corner saying hi to Mictabis, and I believe uh, coming over from um, Umble Whiskey in uh, Texas. Umble. So uh, welcome, uh, Moose Gals Corner. So. Um, yeah, this is, this is, it's, it's really wild. It's wild stuff. So again, uh, we are seeing, um, the, the kind of the dam break, um, lawsuits being filed against districts where a parent is claiming, Hey, my child, um, was infected with COVID because school, you did not A, require mask or B, these can be together A and B, um, properly mitigate for the virus, which might be, you know, cleaning, sanitizing, you know, thing, things like that. Um, so those things are coming out. Um, we also know that schools have this, this wide open block grant on how to increase, uh, <laughs> it, it's really targeted right for HVAC systems and stuff like that. We know that schools, for example, I talked about it, have bought, artificial turf for the football fields and things like that. So, so this block grant, I haven't seen that as a school administrator. I mean, again, when I was back, the last time we had a block grant was back during the era, a R R a American recovery act. Um, I know there's an R missing somewhere in there, but it was back in like 2008, 2009 um, when the stock market died and you know, the banks almost went under stuff like that. And this money came out to schools and it was like buy American steel and American labor and, and but there were very strict like conditions on what you could could spend that on. Um, and this is like this money is coming out, and I was, you know, I, I read through it too, like in my class, like I had the actual the bill, and we're going through it. I'm like, you can spend this damn near on you can justify this almost on anything, right? Like you can if you can justify it on an outside football field um and saying well then you know students can get out on the field it'll be more physically fit and if you're physically fit you're less likely to get sick i mean that is enough of an argument for the feds to say yeah that's good (laughs) all right we gave you three million dollars and you made the fitness argument pretty damn convincingly right there so like you're good um yeah there's literally no no audit there's no sense me face validity standpoint (laughs) it's like (laughs) this doesn't make sense it's absolutely crazy um So let me go to gone. um, I wouldn't say Racine, but there's no E at the end and welcome by the way, and subscribe to this channel. If you haven't Um, the channel is coming back in full force here. Um, But yeah, please do that. And I I will have um, some upcoming shows where I'm going to be breaking down parts of the book, velocity of information, my book coming out in February with Roman and Littlefield and, and going through that. Um, So, um, gone wrote, I wouldn't let my kid anywhere near school nowadays, the way of they indoctrinate them in the fact that they graduate without the knowledge of their history or necessary to survive and thrive says it all. Um, so yeah, one of the things schools uh, significantly, um, <laughs> struggle with, I mean, wh- when I, when I work with schools is, is just, what is the baseline with kids when they come in with their math and, and reading and stuff like that? Like, like where are you at with that? So, um, and uh, Sass too many wrote, I feel privileged to be a part of the safety doc podcast stream of consciousness. It's always interesting. Well, thank you, Sast. I appreciate that. Sast once did the cannonball run, uh, kind of an abbreviated version. It was over uh, the uh, kind of when the roads were thinned out uh, during COVID. I think he averaged 212 miles an hour. Um, very successful cannonball run. He had some in, in-car video of that. Uh, I don't know if it's out there. Um, I, I'm guessing it's not. Uh, but he is an extremely good driver. Um, so yeah, just, I, can, he sees like, you know, he can see kind of make predictions a thousand feet ahead of him, like what he has to do. So you gotta be really good with your tires on that type of thing. I think it all comes, part of it comes down to the tires. Uh, cause your tires can melt. Um, bacon wrote, um, wonder if any celebrities listening to doc might use this to come out of retirement. Hi, I'm Paris Hilton and I'm here to teach you how to <laughs> wash your hands. Actually, I mean, bacon. Now, that's if if you had a celebrity that came out with a hand washing campaign, or even something where they could market into that, right? Or or just to to do, um, yeah, like this, be be on a talk show or this. They would it would probably work. I mean, they would get the spotlight out there. And imagine, you know, like you know, they're singing a song, you know, like you you have Adele or somebody like singing a song as they're, and they're like, okay, like that's the time that you should be washing your hands. Yeah. So the the there's little quirky things. Like, as I said, I I'm the guy, I'd be the perfect guy to contact for the cover story. Right. So the why to make this. Like I, I said, after the Hawaii missile crisis thing, a couple of years ago, Wade, and the official narrative after that was we, we clicked the wrong button. It was only supposed to be an internal practice. I'm like, yeah, but, right your system doesn't have it's not that easy to mistake and alert the whole state of an incoming thing. so i'm like that's not how that works and then they came up with another story i'm like well that's not how that works either and then they they said well the person that's on there we reassigned them and a week later that they the person no longer work there and a week later like people are saying we can't even find that person like we type in their name there's like no address and i mean it's like hawaii like right like so <laughs> it's not like you drive to to work from another island or come in on boat or plane or teleported i mean so it's just weird so i'm like come in with with me like i'll be your cover story guy like I'll, I'll i'll be the person that makes it all make sense um but i mean part of the cover story guy is just to logically give people a sense of like how to what you should be doing like just logically I mean, it's just it's insane um so um uh, gone wrote and government programs offering incentives so i don't know if, if anybody caught this i put this out on twitter and it was Baton Rouge, so if you go into my Twitter, it's at Safety uh, PhD. Let me just put it here at Safety. Um, I have the mic. So here we go. Here we go. Okay. So this is me on on Twitter at Safety PhD. So a couple days ago, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, was was running an event, and if you went down and received your a beer float you could have um criminal um your record clean like misdemeanors and fel- felonies to certain levels like so actually if you go into twitter and i i reposted that authentic link <laughs> to you know maybe like two days ago it came out and i'm like wow like i wrote in school of or not school of, Velocity of information about how new mexico did sweepstakes and free hunting license and fishing license and lotteries and all of that and i thought that was pretty extreme. I didn't know if anyone would, would come up with an idea of, Hey, like if you receive this, um, we'll clean your record. Um, so, so that, that felony you know, where you, you stole a car eight years ago, gone, it's gone. I'm like, that is just insane. I'm, i I would have put it in the book. I mean, I'm, I'm like, if that would have been three weeks earlier, like, Oh my, I know exactly where that would have gone. The book's already been accepted as being typeset, but absolutely, absolutely Twitter. But um, yeah, so Sastro, uh, felony Expunge. Yes, kids, you heard that right. Yeah, so it was, uh, it's, it, it's, 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 it's this bizarro, right? That you would see, that you'd see that. And what kind of modeling is that sending out? I don't know, to a community. I, I The whole thing was just like, it's hard to believe. I'm like, someone provide an authentic link. I remember, you know, initially finding, and then I found like the authentic website and it was then covered by the Baton Rouge media. So I'm like, this is actually happening um, it is it was just, it was just wild. Um, so I, th- I think in my state, they do not require um, students or staff to have the rip year float. Uh, school districts can have, can make that determination with staff where I'm at. It's a right to work state, except for a few districts that have uh, unions. So in most cases, school boards can make that determination, but I'll tell you, every every administrator um, I'm interacting with right now on a regular basis, which is about 20 in my state, uh, who are informing me and, and, you know, in my classes or stuff, they're saying, listen, like, we have no staff. I mean, like, the bus driver, when they get done, they're coming in and they're, you know, monitoring a classroom and they're helping out in the kitchen and as a principal, like, I'm subbing. And so, you know, there's this thing, too, where uh, school boards are going to be, like, Boy, if we, you know, if we do this and we lose 5% of our staff or 10% or if we do this with students and students go and virtually open enroll to a, a different district or physically open enroll to a district or private school that doesn't have this. So, I mean, all of these things are are really heavy in play. And how districts get funded is student headcount. How many students? So, it's not like a district just gets X number of dollars. It's based on how many kids they have. So there's this, this intense open enrollment. And I was thinking, too, like, if I was a school administrator in the time of COVID, I would aggressively, through open enrollment and advertising, I would say, listen, here's what our district is doing. Like, yeah, we're using, we have cleaners and we're sanitizing and we have solo cater apps. So we know I can, I can track where people have cleaned in the building and how frequently that's been done. We have environmental services. We've contacted, we've done, I mean, if I were to put that out there, that would be a, a selling point for some parents like definitely it wouldn't be a detractor we wouldn't lose parents likely over that but you would have people coming in because of the perception right that social proof of you being able to say i can print out from the two cleaners that we hired exactly a map of where they've been in the building and and those types of things um you can you know put a little money into advertising schools do that they advertise against each other to try to lure students for different things. I mean, to be honest, like that school that put the artificial turf in, behind the scenes conversation with that might've been, hey, if we do this, we're gonna get open enrollment from some kids that have a grass field because they wanna play on turf. Things like that happen. So it's it's nuts. Um, So Bacon wrote uh, my website, safetyphd.com. Yes, it is, and a story about my website, my website was hacked. My website was hacked um, about a month ago and it was hacked by like a, a pharma thing. So, um, you know, those, I, I made a post on Twitter, but so like I, it was right before, like I started teaching at the university. So suddenly I'm like, this is, you know, I'm bringing up my, my website and and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> like all these discount pharma products and things like that. So I contacted my host who and I said, you got to clean this out. Like, so they did. It took a while though for them to do that. And then you have, I had to contact Google online and, and have them recrawl it. Now everything's fixed. Like everything's, everything's gone, but that really sucked to have, have that. Um, Cameron wrote also strange how we don't hear any information on a healthy lifestyle. such as nutrition and exercise, gyms closed, but fast food seems to stay open. So Cameron, I wrote and what you are going to think is the greatest book in the entire world here, the velocity of information, which will actually come out in a book, right? This is just my, my bound edition. Um, I wrote a, ch- a, a couple chapters about that. And I had drew Bay our fitness friend or fitness expert, um, help inform me, but I immediately, right. There's a, a chapter called fitness and fortitude and, The US military or or the US army in in 2015 had a civilian fitness program and how this worked is if you're working as a civilian for the the military you could enroll in this and they would give you access to resources online resources programs things like that to help you become more fit physically fit diet things like that so I'm looking at this program saying god like why didn't we just scale that up for everybody like they could have logged in and then remember these partnerships like you know these companies coming in on the white house why not have companies say, Hey, like if you log in for 10 days, like you'll get a coupon to Amazon or to, you know, whatever. Um, and, or you can post to social media. Like that's a big thing for people, right? They want to prove that they can, th- that they're doing something. So, Hey, like you've been, you logged into your site five times and you earned a tenacity badge. And I, we know these things work. Cause like in world war two, um, uh, people or world war one, um, people in Austria, uh, on the home front, right? Um, still still at home during the war. They would do these things called the Wehrman M. Eisen, which I, I wrote about in the book. Big statues made of wood. So you might have a soldier, a 10-foot soldier made out of wood, or you might have like a ship made out of wood or something like that. And you'd, you'd have this in your, your town square, and you'd go down, and you'd either bring a nail and hammer a nail in, or you'd buy a nail, and you're, you'd steal this, S, steel as in metal, You'd be, so you turn wood into steel and it was this, this process everybody could be seen doing it and everybody felt they were contributing and I'm like, so you could have done this right people imagine like all your friends right like if they some people you know they they want all this attention anyway and you're kind of at home and you're not with your job and you can post on social media and it's like you know you just click a button boom and it goes to all your social media stuff hey like Dave just did his did his fifth login and he earned his tenasty badge. We know this stuff works, like from video game engineers and stuff like that, too. And I'm like, why wasn't that there? So I wrote extensively about that in the velocity of information and the science behind it and the fact of um, like like Drew Bay saying, you know, if you're at home and you can contract a muscle like he's trained, you know, paraplegics and, you know, very elderly people and people with, you know, very unique uh, conditions that prohibit other types of traditional exercises. He said, I've I've worked. You could have done this, right? Why wasn't that there? And you know we've had it in previous instances, World War II it was committee for national morale, World War II. why Why wasn't that there? I mean, you already had this military US Army fitness thing behind the scenes, you could have got a team together and you know, in a week you could have had this out there and it would have bought you time. So of people trying to be more fit, right? drink more drink more water, try to stay you know more fit at home and nutrition things. But you know, again, like we didn't see that. <laughs> and how about postal stuff too? I mean, what would it have taken to have postal carriers as they deliver, also deliver a small bottle of sanitizer, right? That there's some ramped up campaign. And as as your mail comes in, you're also getting uh, sanitizer once a week, for four weeks. I mean, all of these things where you're like, yeah, that's a hell of an idea. Like why did nobody come up with that, right? So it's, it's really smart. I mean, um, you know, that, that you, you brought that up Cameron, because I was thinking the same thing, right? Like, and I wrote about it, you know, and and kind of took that apart. So, um, and yeah, put and put any, you know, post down below anything, you know, in, in the comments area, um, on this and please subscribe to the channel. I appreciate that. Um, so, um, let's see mictabis if your fish tank is dirty do you clean it or give the fish medication to make them feel better yeah so that's and and that is that is a good analogy you know to like we haven't heard um about how schools are are either doing the the physical cleaning of the environment or how they've modified schedules or or things like that to increase the the clean the Um, I don't know if it would be the safety of the environment, right? But again, if you just say masking up makes you safer, the question is, but who, who can objectively tell you that? Like your environmental services person could take tests beforehand of what's on surfaces, what's in the air. And then they could have, you know, people, once you've gone to masking, they could also take that and compare the two Um, and no one's doing that. Like that, that is not out there. So and again, there's no inter-student or inter-rater reliability on a mask. You know, you have one kid coming in who's wore the same mask since day one. <laughs> like, it's 412 days old, and it's dirty, and it's ripped, and it counts as a mask. And you have another student that comes in, you know, who has the full N95 with the pink sides and all of that, and, you know, the Darth Vader type look. And, and so it's like, you know, how do you, how do you know? And you don't, right? It's just it's a binary thing of are they wearing a mask or are they not? Um, so that's that you know, that's a big and that's really the question too. Like I wrote about it in the book. Um, that would have been something we would have seen at our big box stores, right? When you go when you would have gone in or the grocery stores, like their insurance carriers would have said to them early on in COVID, listen, like you cannot let people come in that don't have appropriate PPE because it's a liability for us, you know, and have them juggle the mangoes and stuff like that. You can't do that. Like in touch the shopping carts, whatever. So have them come in, give them a mask, give them gloves. Like we will get your supply. So it has, you know, the fidelity to it. Like, and, um, and when they're done, have a bin that they toss everything into like a sharps type bin on their way out. And then, someone who's sanitizing kind of those entrances in and out like we would have seen that. Um, so a patient cured as a customer loss. So yeah, I don't know where that comes in on the school side, you know, like the schools, the thing is like, if schools, um, handled this better, right. It, it, it's in open enrollment times. It's also a marketing, um, a strategy for schools. Like you could be the school that markets yourself as being very in tune to mitigation processes and no one's going there. And I mean, it's not that hard to get microban in my Walmart. I mean, there's an entire shelf of microban. It's, it, it is, it's, it's weird that you don't see that type of um, that customer perceived value, social proof type thing. It doesn't make sense to me, especially when schools go all out on putting bollards in the front of their buildings to show you, hey, like we're taking school shootings seriously, even though, you know, we're up on a hill and no one's going to drive through the front doors of the school, like the way that this is set up. But, you know, you can see it. Um, So, yeah. So, Mictibus, thanks for putting Drew Bay's website. So, yeah, Drew Bay um, is really uh, helped inform the book. So thank you so much to, to Drew. And it makes, it completely makes sense, right? To why didn't we go with fitness even right now in schools, even right now, if I'm trying to mitigate in schools, why, or not why, but I would make the argument of saying I want physical activity like, right. We want a little longer recess time for kids because um, more physical activity. It's not, it's, it's an axiom. I mean, these are done through national health studies, more exercise, that you receive, it increases your immune system and uh, exposure to the sun. I mean, those aren't hard scientific proofs to go down. I I wrote about it in the book. I mean, it's, these are, you know, highly referenced multiple repeated studies. So, um, so why not? I mean, be, be that school of saying we're increasing time, you know, in the outdoors and we wanna increase kids' activity. And, any, and then you can come in, you can come in with your doctors and you can say, listen, the school is increasing the physical activity in your $2 million in, instead of like putting your artificial turf in, you know, we're doing more, uh, you know, playground, uh, you know, we're putting in some playground equipment or we're going to pave, um, you know, pave some areas where, where kids can get out or whatever it is, but, um, you know, it's it's like why why in the world aren't we we talking more about this? Yeah. So if I'm a doctor saying, you know, the school changed their schedule and they increased um, kids outside, you know, their their time outside by a total of 30 minutes, and when you're outside, we know that it, it's 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 the uh, Michong or Mihong Hong group. Um, I I wrote about it in School of Airs. So if you have School of Airs, like you could find the study. I wrote about it. It was like the impact of sunlight on kids. (laughs) And it was basically the more sunlight kids have the healthier they are and the better they perform academically. And this was a study with like thousands and thousands of kids in different settings and things. And, but I mean, that gets to be, that's a study. It's like, that's great, but you can't market sunlight, right? Like you, um, you know, and it's so, The only thing you could market is saying we have lights that are similar to sunlight, but I mean, so that's the thing that doesn't catch traction. But again, I, you know, I would, I I would again say, where is the school district who's stepping forward and saying, you know, we we are doing this, and and we know that there's this axiom which is a truth between exercise and sunlight and health. Like, it's not there. And and the other thing is like these these school districts again, they are so left out in the dark by their their organizations which they're paying thousands and thousands of dollars and people have no idea unless you work in schools <laughs> administration right that you have these school board associations and administrator associations and principal associations and and you know custodial associations and you're paying thousands of dollars out into these associations and these memberships so they can run these conferences and what you get back from them is is in my opinion not worth what you pay in but right now Right now, they are not coming and helping you. Like even with these ideas, like the, what we've what we've talked about tonight. Like you put this on replay to a school board and have them listen to it, and I can guarantee you, if they put three of these things into practice, right, <laughs> they would be much better off than where they're at in ninety nine percent of these districts. Um, so, but you know, it's 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 this this. This weird dance, and if if you ever work with legal counsel, because one of, I I talked to some administrators, they're like, well, we would ask legal what to do. I'm like, legal doesn't know, like legal doesn't know what your school schedule is, and they don't know about sanitizing your schools. I mean, like they would they would hire an expert witness if there was ever issues with that. Like you know, legal doesn't know that you're overestimating what your lawyer is. Your lawyer, of course, will take the money, <laughs> and you know they'll eat up time researching things or whatever, but. Like your lawyer isn't the person to tell you how how often you should be sanitizing desk and what's reasonable and what's not. That's environmental. Like that's your lawyers not doing that. But I mean, as people get mixed up on like what a, what a lawyer is. And I mean, there were, there were a lot of times as an administrator, I, I would, I would listen to what legal I had to say on stuff. And I'd be like, I'm not going in either of those directions. Like, <laughs> you know, neither of those makes sense for what I have to do here. So, um, I'm going to do something different, you know? Um, it just it's, it's just crazy. So, so yeah, McTavish was saying a, a, a virus is far smaller than a droplet. So obviously, they like, just look at that blue label underneath it. Hopefully, it won't. I don't think I've said anything which which would get this booted off. Anything has been it's been pretty sound, pretty objective. Trying to protect yourself from mosquitoes and a chain link fence. So it makes absolutely no sense. So McTavish, you're right on though. You're you're right on right of saying, um, here's what. Um, here's if we're asking for a mask in a school setting of 400 kids that's like a typical elementary school right? And elementary schools are built for economy so they're built to be tightly packed and, and things like that. Um, if you are doing that, how do you know that the anybody bringing in an outside mask that it's reliable right? that it is it is hitting a certain standard where it is preventing, as you speak, aerosol to go out or as you're breathing in aerosol to go in. And how many times like people just touch their mask with, like the outside of the mask has to be contaminated, right? Because i been breathing in and out of it for hours. But um, so that, that point right there from face validity, which written about extensively in my book, like face validity would tell you if you have 400 kids bringing in mask, and you know, again, the one kid has the same mask that, you know, he got at the, you know, when he was out shopping, um, 15 months ago and he has the same one, he stuffs in his pocket and pulls out and it's all ripped and stuff like that. And the other, you know, you got another 10% of kids who are, are a little bit uh, spendy and they got their mask off of Etsy. Now, granted, I will give Etsy credit because I wrote about it in the book. Um, Etsy, when I did a search in July for facial coverings on Etsy, over a million masks showed up. But Etsy, right at the top, said none of our vendors are able um, to make claims about medical um, effectiveness of their mask. So anything being marketed here, you know, is is I don't know, um, uh, you know, like it, it's basically apparel, right? <laughs> so you know, kudos to Etsy for doing that. But realistically, like people are still buying these masks and passing them off as this is this is preventing this aerosol intake or other. So this is a big thing. And why don't we, why don't we know this? Like, why doesn't this instantly make sense to us? Like when I was shopping at Walmart yesterday in the morning, like there was this lady who clearly doing, doing checkout, clearly it was just a folded bandana and in, it was open on the bottom and she's doing, you know, she's the cashier. I'm like, that's not a mask. (laughs) I mean, that's plus like, if, if you're, you're breathing, right. If I was, if, if you, the, the breath is coming out the bottom. Cause that's the least resistance. Like to, to try I mean, just look at this. I'm like, that's not really keeping anybody safe. I mean, if you're going to spit at me or something like that, I mean, she's a very nice person, but I mean, but like face validity, if things like that aren't making sense. So, I think where schools are going to, to have these discussions that, you know, what might be, do we, re, do we supply the mask? And what would it take to get inventory? Which I've been told they've been able to do. Um, and what would it take for costs? And again, schools had money that was coming in from this. And at what point does the state jump in on this or does a county do this or does a consortium of districts do this? Um, what is what is the advice from the Board of Education on this? If you're a board member and you've just been sued, if you've been named in litigation, like, that's a big thing. Because litigation like this will draw out, right? Because um, there'll be a lot of discovery. You know, what did you consider? What didn't you consider? What happened at the schools? All the stuff that we talked about. And it's not, and then these parents are going to be angry coming to these meetings because they don't want to be in the newspaper and they, they don't, you know, they, that their district and well was my kid involved in this too. And why didn't you do this? Or what are you doing? Or all of a sudden, and the will other parents will say, you now it's a knee jerk reaction. Now we are masked because of this one person that litigates. So like, this is, this is, if you're a board member, holy smokes, like this around me, like a, there are a number of board members who just like resigned and be like, I'm done. Um and there was a, a board meeting where it was masking or not masking stuff like that. And they ended up like calling uh the police to escort the board members and the administrators out of the building. That was that was two weeks ago, um, in my state. <laughs> so I talked to the administrator in that. He's like, Yeah, they kind of formally this little little barrier around me and kind of got me out of the building and holy smokes, dude. Um, but wow. Um, Cameron wrote, you'd think that schools would also limit total enrollment is such a huge issue. Yeah. It's a good point. Cameron, like, so total enrollment, as far as like number of kids in a building and, or would you go like every other day, like, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday would be everybody working from home virtual day and cleaning the schools. Like, would there be staggered ways to do this or limiting and say, it's going to be like a, you know, kind of random process. And some kids will have to be virtual. and not. And the reason schools I think don't do that is, and it makes sense. Like what you're saying completely makes sense is it's this open enrollment environment. And if parents don't get what they want, they'll go to the next district or they'll, they'll open enroll to an online district or a private school. Um, so that's, that's why these, these, that's why the districts are kind of saying to the state, help us out. <laughs> in where I'm at, 471 districts, 2,200 individual school buildings. And one district is on an island that you can only get to with a ferry, and there's like 58 kids. I mean, these districts are like, help us out. Like, state throws a bone here on, on a statewide directive on, like, what's supposed to happen. Or maybe there's at least a statewide distribution of mask. And, you know, we, this sounds crazy, like, that this would happen, but that's not the way it happened for school safety in my state three, four years ago, the state had a catalog that they gave out to all of the districts and you could pick door locks for your schools and the, and the state picked up the cost department of justice. So I saw the catalogs I went to the schools. I saw the lot. So it's not crazy to do this, but um, let's get back to the, to the chat. Um, Bacon wrote, um, uh, suspended for fighting back then. No wonder kids act the way they do. They can't take a punch anymore. So, whoa. Um, and, uh, safety doc podcast. Okay. So McTivist wrote, uh, don't schools get paid by the head these days though. They have every incentive to keep attendance up. Yes, that's exactly how it happens. So it is a head count. It's a rolling three year average, but, um, the more kids you can get. And if a kid virtually enrolls to your district. So now if you've created this virtual, um, school within your district so we have a virtual fifth grade you know and it's and it has 100 kids in it or whatever um they they get the money for that as if they were there so yes um schools have a big incentive and that's why i i think as we read through like schools took their pandemic and they got things that are very visible like hey we just got our artificial turf football field um there's more to that right like there's more there's reasons to do that 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 try to give you some of that appeal. Um, so yeah, McTibus um, wrote, that's the core of the problem, looking at the government for, to solve our problems. So I think some of that is is happening. You're right. One of the things all the districts could do, and I, you know, I brought this up. I said, there's nothing right that prohibited you from taking this money, you know, this money, even without the money saying, we're going to do this hand-washing campaign, right? <laughs> we're going to do that. Um, we're going to increase our, the breaks during the day the, we're going to redo the schedule a little bit and we're going to increase hand-washing. I mean, there's nothing that prohibited anybody from taking that local control. Um, the, it was supposed to be right that the, the schools look to the county and the county was supposed to give guidance to schools and nursing homes and other places on, on gatherings and sporting events and stuff like that. And then the county is kind of like <laughs> so long on that, um. So so yeah schools are when it, and it is weird in a way too that there hasn't been um it has been open like schools would jump on if there was a, a department of ed standard that was was out there even if um you know there there were certain masks that were endorsed or certain processes and it's it's weird like again I just don't see I don't see that stuff um Let's look right here. Also, by skipping school, so from um, they were issuing escalating fines to the parents if students were absent. Yeah, and today, right now, um, you know, their truancy is pretty much out the door. Right, schools aren't filing for truancy in in the current setting, So that's, I mean, I've had I've had administrators say, you know, we've had kids who ha- we haven't seen for a quarter. Right, like we <laughs> and. It, it just isn't a priority either in the courts or the school to, to pursue this stuff. So like what was, what was a pretty, not a pretty cohesive, but a much more functional system um, before um, COVID is, is now really uh, piecemeal. Uh, but again, it doesn't excuse anybody from trying or making steps, which we've talked about a lot of those to, to get things back on track. I mean, whether you're working in, in healthcare or transportation or IT or, you know, wh- whatever it is. I mean, there's, you have to just take th- where you're at your baseline and figure out how to move forward from that. Um, and I, that, so that's, that's where, again, it's, it's, it's it's a struggle for me when schools don't have a, a baseline or there's there, or, or at least there, or they could come on and, and say like, Hey, we're struggling to try to find environmental services to come in and, and to do these things, well, at least then you you can document that you've you've done that, you know. But again, not the dialogues I see. Once in a while, you'll see these these things on TV where the news will come in and they'll be like, hey, you know, this district, uh, you know, they have this new sanitizing thing. And so it's like the Ghostbusters backpack, and they're going around and spraying, you know, up on the lights and all the stuff like that. I don't know, you know, what the effectiveness of that is, right? Like, because you you can see the stuff happening, but you don't know the pre and post. Um, and how frequently that's being done, but at least it's something, right? Um, so a few things like, um. So let's see here from uh, our friend, uh, Mictavis, probably. And school boards, school boards have local control, so school boards can make these decisions. Um, as I said, you know, to provide certain masks or to school board to you know to say increase the amount of time uh, between. That, that people have access to restrooms for hand-washing. We want all of our buildings to increase that by 10 minutes a day. So figure it out, building administrators, how you're gonna do it. I mean, wow. Yeah, there are certain requirements of schools have to have so many minutes of instruction, but um, you know, uh, there are ways to get creative and whether you know you count this as instruction, those are all little things that you can tweak around. There's, there's nothing that's kind of messed up with that, but um, so. All right. Yeah, this is, this is good stuff. So a few things. Um, please come in and um, hit the like button and subscribe. Like I'm up to 421 and <laughs> my goal is that the show gets to, you know, a thousand subscribers. Uh, that would be great. And if you are interested, that book School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. You know, it's on Amazon. I got 43 five star reviews. It's a good read about how schools handle safety. And you can easily pull out of that book of here's probably what discussions are and are not happening right now in um, a virus environment that was written before COVID came out and it came out in fall of 2019. So I had like a four month marketing window <laughs> before everything just went kind of wonky, crazy bad with that. So um, yeah, like when schools shut down and, and, book companies and people all, all of the industry kind of um went and hibernated and came back so um but yeah so everybody um again um mask guidance we talked about in schools so the litigation is starting to to roll in um in schools we have this thing called foreseeable tort with schools did they should they have anticipated boards of education should have anticipated that there would be kids getting sick because of exposure to other kids in close proximity or kids not or staff not wearing masks? Contact tracing in schools, it is crazy. It's um nobody has this down. <laughs> Again, we saw like I saw it on the news one place or some, you know, here's a school in New York where they contact traced it between a teacher, you know. Sp- reading a story and, and kids getting sick. That doesn't, that's, I've never seen that anywhere. Anyone talk about anything, even remotely close to that. Um, environmental services. Yeah. Like a big, like we should be hearing about, um, environmental services coming into schools and identifying on surfaces and in the air and how to mitigate that. It should be like a national campaign, right. To, to do that. It's not, <laughs> um, We can learn a lot if we go back and uh, go on some videos about Legionnaire's disease of figuring out like how that lived in HVAC systems and how they they had to have strategies to mitigate that in HVAC and test for it and stuff like that. Um, Seems like a lot of the common sense things we kind of knew we've just gone by the wayside. Pandemic funds that came to schools, sadly, um, there's no oversight and you can justify virtually any expenditure if you just sit down for 30 seconds and think how... How could this purchase of a jumbotron be linked to, um, pandemic safety, ah, messaging, right? We can, it's a large thing and we can message to a lot of people and we could, we could also do a 30 second video on the importance of hand washing and it could be replaying on the jumbotron. Boom. Got it justified in the bag, in the bag. Um, and, I, and that might sound like hyperbole. I don't know anyone who's got jumbotron. But someone's probably thinking, I just heard a safety doc. There's a good way we can get our jumbotron. But you, you could, with everything else that's kind of been approved, like you could you could go down that road. Um, and, you know, just stay informed yourself. Attend board, attend board meetings if you have kids in school. Uh, figure out what's going on. And the question to ask is, is um, how how do you know what areas need to be cleaned like have you have you studied that is there something in a board minute re, in a report from environmental services and is it a, a board meeting like three months ago can I see okay I'll go to that and I'll read the minutes or can I see the report from environmental services and, and these are the questions people need to be asking um, or how do you uh, what are your what are your considerations for, inter reliability between masks when kids walk in with all kinds of different masks, which are now fashion items, right? They're, they're aesthetics. So, Hey, you know, I'm my, you know, Milwaukee bucks championship mask. But, um, so those types of questions, like if you just put those out there, they're non-threatening, right? <laughs> and they're going to require the correct thinking to get to answers to that. Um, so that's where you can help your your school board and and people is to propose questions like that um to get them down in into the right direction so but yeah and and again for me it's it's been an interesting week because um i know some of these administrators in the districts where the lit- litigation is coming forward so immediately you know they're just like what does this mean for me like i've never been in a situation where I've been named in litigation before in the district and how so you know so it's again you know just kind of stepping through well I don't. your legal counsel is going to advise you that's not me but you know there are things right discovery so if you've if, if your board voted on something and you were supposed to have social distancing or you know hand washing or mitigation things like how did you do it how did you document that you, that you did it? How are you checking, you know, that kid, what, what happened if a kid didn't have a mask up? Like, did you, what kind of response was there to that? Those are all big questions that come out in Discovery, like all of those things. And any signage, right? Did you increase signage in your building? Did you take a picture of it? Remember that solo cater app? I mean, that's Joe Dolio type stuff. And really thank you to Joe. Um, I mean, Joe's, uh, his contributions, but um, so... Um, so let's see here, Pussy Toot, or Toot, sorry. I'd like to apply some of your safety technology in my everyday life, both at the workplace and at home. Thank you, please subscribe to the channel. But yeah, thank you. I mean, and it, I, so I haven't seen your name here before, but um, please, uh, you know, it, my website is safetyphd.com. Safetyphd.com, my book School of Errors, is, is on there, um, which is on Amazon, right, went through publisher. My new book will be out in February, The Velocity of Information. I don't know what the cover will look like, but about 255 pages, Human Thinking During Chaotic Times. There'll be a lot of really cool stuff in there, too. Like, And I interviewed 10 people, including Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. And I had a question for Larry. I said, Larry, um, how'd you find out about 9 11? You know, maximum security prison. Like, how'd you find out about it? And then how did you verify information? All the whole federal prison system, uh, system went on lockdown. Um, interviewed, um, Alaskan crab boater, Robert Travis and said, you know, how'd you make, um, the inform- you know, how'd you process information fast to stay alive when you're on a crab boat, dangerous, most dangerous job, um, per Bureau of Labor Statistics back in when he was doing it 2003 and 2007. And he said, you know, part of the story is like, all of my bosses died. Like I had four bosses. They're all killed on the boat. <laughs> like refrigerator sized chunk of ice comes, boom, they're gone. So All of these, these, you know, these 10 interviews and my research and, and it just, it really flows into a very intriguing kind of analysis of um, what, how people respond during chaos and how populations respond, how governments typically respond. And then like, as the bottom line for you is like, if you read the book, you'll understand what happens to people around you. You'll pick up on those signs, whether it just be a person or your neighborhood or a population. And you'll be like, you can get out in front of that. Get out in front of the pack and get to a safer psychological place or, you know, survival or, or even things to say to your kids and things to do with your own kids. I, you know, I have, I have a story in here where, you know, my daughter at the start of, of the COVID shutdown, down your schools shut down and all that she was in elementary school and she's like, Hey, everybody, everybody is, um, they're tearing out the playground. So she's telling me this, they're, they're ripping out the playgrounds. My friends are emailing me and I'm like, i are not ripping out playgrounds, but she's like, so her friends are so, you know, keyed up on this. And, and so I said, well, I don't, so at some point I just said, let's figure out what's going on. So grab your mask. Right. And I had a tripod and a camera and we recorded 13 videos over like a four to five month span. And they were maybe like 10 minutes long. None of them are public. Um, and we went to the playground and it had the tape in my book. I took a picture of a lot of places we went. So it had the yellow police tape and, you know, you can't be here and stuff, but the playground was still there. It wasn't ripped out. They had some sand next to it. They were going to add um, a volleyball court and they had to idle that during the pandemic stuff. So that's where I think people, some of our friends they there digging it up, but we went to the armory in my community. We went to the Walmart. We went, you know, outside the parking lot. And so we got to see people lining up as they went in and stuff. And I, you know, so I said, well, did you see this different than the last time we were here? Well, now there's you know, people have to line in. They only go in this entrance. Okay. We went to the hospital. We went to her school. Like she took a picture of the the door of her school where it said, you know, school's closed because of COVID whatever. But, you know, so, um, and it became tangible, right? She could say, I observed instead of they said. And so it's a really genuine story um, in, in the book of, of how, it, you know, it wasn't. So the cool part about the book, right. Is it's not something I'm, I I've, I've never lived through or something I'm looking back on and trying to research. Like all of us, like I was living this and I recognized really early on when this was happening, I'm going to gather all this information for the book. So when you read the book, it is, it's rich because that night I was writing about that for the book. I mean, and, so again, the way that you interact with people, and there's all these things that I'll kind of break down in the book into into videos here. And as you have it, it's really just a great psychological tool. Nobody's done this, especially in contemporary times. Nobody has done this. So it is it is exciting um for me. And again, it's been accepted for publication. It's going through the the typesetting and all of that type of stuff right now. And marketing is is you know, preparing for their campaign and stuff like that. So it's, it is called the velocity of information and I'll let everybody know, like when it's out. So, um, but yeah, so everybody, yeah. I, um, I want a jumbotron now says bacon. (laughs) Yeah. And it's kind of weird too, because like in my community, there are districts around here that have jumbotrons. I mean, huge, massive jumbotrons and artificial turf even before this, but now, you know, those things, um, are just more prevalent. (laughs) So I don't know if I'm just getting old and and times are passing me by or, or what's happening. I I guess I have a different opinion of what it is to be a steward of, of the, of the taxes that are paid in um, by myself and and by those around me. Um, But again, maybe I'm just too old school on that. So, um, Hey, look at this. Yeah. So one thing I think is cool. Right, you can buy my book and if you donate it, you can get a tax deduction at your library. Um, some people have done that with School of Airs, And, you know, so that's a cool. And the other thing is um, go into your library. I mean, it's through a publisher, a scholarly publisher. You know, the book, uh, School of Heirs is in hundreds of libraries across the, the world, you know. Um, and like Squamish British Columbia has a copy of my book. Like it's in a library in Nigeria. And go to your library, and you know, have the the name of the book and the author, and say, "I I want this in our library." Like, I want you to order this book. And and most times, libraries have, will order that if you're in the community, and people have, have done that. You know, they've uh, they've come in. Parents have contacted me with School of Heirs and said, "Yeah, I went to my local library and said, I want this book." And libraries have budgets, like and they got a lot of money out of this this stimulus stuff too. And that's all it takes is just here's here's the name and author, and they'll match it to an ISBN number. Um, and it is, it is marketed through the publisher, specifically also to libraries. So it's nothing they're going to look at and say, well, this isn't a library-worthy book or anything like that. They will, um, you know, they will, if as you're making a recommendation, hey, like they will certainly go for that. So, I mean, thanks for bringing that up. Um, so, yeah, or else just buy a whole bunch and then just like throw them out on the lawn at the – at the libraries as you you drive by, like you're just tossing them out. So um, yeah, it is, it is pretty cool. Like I, I get notified um, periodically updates from my publisher of like new places, the books are appearing and it's, 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 it's cool. Um, Or it's cool. Like if somebody contacts you and says, Hey, like I, I checked your book out of, you know what, I I mean, it's in Dallas and in Denver and I mean, big libraries, but you know, it's kind of neat when someone has like a smaller library or they are able to get it and say hey, like got your book and I you know I found your information and you know wanted to thank you you know for writing this or um have you know something to share or like a, a question about or something like that. So it's been a cool thing. Like writing a book I'll get into this sometime too and I'm gonna be on the the show tomorrow on Masculine Geek and the author roundtable, but writing a nonfiction book and now I'm writing a second nonfiction book. Um First one was a 1,000 hours of time. Second one was probably about 2,000 hours. And it's authentically 2,000 hours. I mean, doing the outlines, 471 end notes and proofs and 255 pages and interviewing people and transcribing stuff. But it is this incredible process where you learn so much about yourself and about systems and people and and the generosity of people. Um, And uh, it's it's an amazing creative process. And the only thing I can think is like, you know, maybe like people who were, you know, creative processes were, were really encouraged, you know, centuries ago, right? To, to create things that, and, and now we've just, you know, just people aren't as, as creative. They're not taking time to be creative or, and taking big creatives like risky, right? <laughs> like, you know, you can have cancel culture or, you know, those, those type of things. Um, so to be able to create something and to get feedback uh, from people and to have it hit like a mainstream market is, is just really uh, is a really cool thing. So, all right. So let me. Oh, so Bacon says my local library doesn't let me in without so a specific like face covering. So maybe they have like a drive-through, right? Like so you can you can get the books in and out, and um, or you could just put a sign like on um, as you're driving by, like hey, like get this. Or I bet if you contact the Inglewood. Um, like they, they would be able to, to help you out. So, yeah. So Sast wrote, um, the doc also interviewed Juan Brown for his book. Awesome. So Juan Brown, if you follow the Blanco Lirio channel, um, one, um, I interviewed Juan for his Orville dam coverage in 2017, the Orville dam reservoir in, uh, Oroville, California was, was, um, the, the, Spillway failed. Like the concrete busted up on halfway down and it started to erode back. So then they're like, Oh god, like this is a big problem here. Um, so if it would have eroded all the way back, like the dam would have failed, right? And it would have flooded all the way down to Sacramento. Some people say like Sacramento would have been under five feet of water. Um, uh, so so this was kind of coming out in the news, and Juan gets up in his personal plane. 1946 personal aircraft and he's flying around taking video of it. And he starts to learn like the water in water out and they, they posted online the department of water in California. And he's, he goes up there and he starts to interview like people serving the engineers serving the scene and as they're working on it and he would go to meetings. And so Juan is an interesting, you know, Juan's a citizen journalist. Like he learned about this stuff. He didn't know anything about really dams and spillways and all of that. He would go to meetings in California where they would talk about, They'd have the engineers there to give updates on the Orville Dam and people in the audience be like, hey, like, thanks for the answer. Now I have a question for Juan. <laughs> like, Juan, you were up there and you saw this. Like, what are you? Is this matching like what you're seeing? because he had that much credibility. And I think that's the part of like all of us can be citizen as journalists. We all have that capability. I mean, you don't necessarily need a plane to do that. You can you have to, you know, ask the right questions, take in, use your observations, learn a little bit about something. And, you know, we just, we outsource all of that to people that are not working in our best interest, you know, to get information out fast, but not accurate. Um, So Juan was an amazing and so generous with his time. And, and um, yeah, he, he proofed everything, you know, when it was done saying, Hey, did I get this right? You know, I recorded it and, um, and I, I just have a a massive amount of respect uh, for everything that he's done on so many things that he's, he's covered in the public interest, um, but yeah, Juan, Juan's a fun guy. That that'll really pop to life um reading that passage about Juan. And that's that's a cool thing about the book. Again, like these 10 personal interviews um of people who I wrote about I, who were kind of reclusive, like they're really they're they're intelligent, they're well known in their areas, but they're not people who are going to give out interviews. You got to build up trust. Like when I got when I had Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief, you know, Larry. Um, uh, you know, I, I had to do a lot of legwork to build uh, trust before I got an interview with Larry Lawton, who has 1.32 million YouTube followers. Right. Um, and, and so that's the thing is you're, you're, when you read this book, you're going to also understand the trust that people had in sharing these stories with me. And then the way I was able hopefully to take them and do justice and make them really alive and vibrant. And then as you'll go through this, you'll, you, I I'd use bullet points, um, for you, the reader. And then also for me to kind of make sure that everything I was doing was, was keeping in line that this was very coherent and I don't know. It was really cool. Like, I'm so excited to, um, to be able to offer this out to people and it was really cool. Yeah. So one, yeah, one, um, um, Blanco Blanco Lirio is the channel. And I don't know, I think one is, I don't know, like 200, 250, 250,000, 230,000. Um, so Cameron wrote, that's impressive. You were able to get Larry on. How'd you go about getting him on? So, <laughs> so Larry Lawton, um, I had been watching his, his stuff on YouTube. And so I was just like, Oh my God, this is just fascinating, fascinating stuff. Larry Lawton, America's Biggest Jewel Thief. And I found he worked in the he has this reality check program and and I I called I was on vacation <laughs> up no I was on vacation with my family and I was able to, you know they had their number there and, and i I called I was out on a, a patio so here was in, so camera I went on a patio and there's. Uh, I, my family's inside getting ready, and I'm like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna try. Like, I'm just try, you know, because you send this guy an email, he probably gets thirty thousand emails a day. I mean, probably does. And uh, so I call, and and I'm like, okay, like, thanks for answering the phone. Um, I've been on PBS, and I want to interview Larry for my book. It's a nonfiction book, and here's the question I want to ask. And I've been following his work, and you know, his, his book, Gangster Redemption. And, and please like just give me a chance. Like, I'm here at my website if you want to quickly validate who I am. And it was really cool. Like it was somebody who worked in his office, and they're like, um, okay, we will um we'll look at this and if um, we'll get back to you if Larry's interested. So I'm like, okay, like we'll see. I don't know you know who's holding the who's filtering the system here because obviously, like there's a ton of requests. And probably in a day they got back to me and said, Larry's interested um and they gave me a time <laughs> like cuz i mean the guy's always doing interviews or he's he's really he's booked out he's doing all this stuff i mean he's he just completed and he was on A&E for a special they did about him and he had another one he's in he's a character in grand theft auto right i mean so like all this stuff Larry's got going on plus he works with um uh, government agencies and insurance fraud agencies on like big heist and things like that to try to to help them look in areas that might solve it but um, so anyway, I, I um, Larry calls me at a at this certain time and I'm like, okay, thank you so much. And I had to record it. And then um, we we just had a great conversation. Like he was interested in my work and I, I think he understood that I had a high respect for what he was doing. And and also this, this very specific knowledge that only he could give. Like, how'd you find out about 9-11 in a maximum security prison? What was that like? And then he actually agreed to come on my show. So I said, you know, I do this podcast and I don't have a huge audience. Like you have 1.31 million followers on your podcast, but I'd love to have you on. And he agreed to that. Um, So I did have him on and yeah. So I took the podcast and then also interviews, the the interview I had with him and and combined those into that chapter, which is absolutely outstanding. There's, and there's so much also that I learned from him that I, I didn't have room in the chapter, but um, it was absolutely awesome. And, and Larry, um, so when Larry was released from prison, I mean, he, he had no idea what the outside, well, he had some idea, but the outside world, they gave him $5 bills. Remember when the $5 bill had the president's face, which was like big, they, you know, trying to anti counterfeit stuff like that. So when they gave him the $5 bills, he thought they were setting him up. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I, I didn't want to spend them. Cause I thought it was just a way to get me busted again. And, and, uh, he's telling all these things. I'm like, Oh my God. Uh, but Larry, Larry is extremely genuine. He's giving and And, um, one of the things is I had to, everybody I interviewed when you, you know, cause this book is, um, it's under a publisher, just like the last one I'm writing it under a contract. You have to get permission from everybody that you interview. And then you have to transcribe all those interviews have to be recorded. And then once I write everything up, it has to come back to people and they have to sign a legal document saying that they have read their chapter and, Um, they are not requesting any revision to it. Or if there is like a revision, then you make it and then you get it back to them. Usually then it's just something like really minor, but because like if you write a chapter about somebody and the book gets published and it ends up hurting their career, you know, this chapter or or personally somehow like they could argue and come back to you saying, Hey, like you wrote this. So the publisher is not going to touch that unless you have these releases. Well, anyway, the last round of releases when everything was all done and accepted and I gave everybody their, their parts, I, I sent, you know, the, the entire book to everybody and would say like, Hey, like, you know, please read pages 41 through 45 and then your image on page 205 and sign off this document. Larry in 10 minutes, got it back to me exactly like he needed to like exactly. (laughs) And he was the only person to do that. Like everybody else, I had to read or no, you have to copy this over or you have to permit or, you know, you, you just can't give like an email back saying, hey, it looks good. I mean, it has to be. And I'm like, uh, so that's where I have to touch base with Larry and say, you were just Larry's mind. Like he's so precise, right? Like, so he took it exactly and he was the first one to get everything back. And of course, like at the end, he's like, hey, good luck on the book. Can't wait to read it. I'm like, that's really awesome, man. I mean, there are so many things going on in your life and you're filming, you know, this thing with A&E and whatever, but the fact that, you know, this email comes in, it's got my name on it, and you jump on that permission thing. Like, it's just really cool. It's just really cool. Um, it's really a cool thing. Um, so, yeah, anyway, just the the Larry Lawton thing. And I want to go down and uh, I want to meet Larry at, at some point. Um, I don't know when I'm going to be down in that Florida area. So, some of the people that I, that I interviewed, too, like, I want to actually, you know, meet <laughs> meet with them somewhere uh, some of these people are, are not that far away, um, from me. Uh, one is in Chicago, but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's a fascinating thing. So at some point I'll, I'll kind of talk, I'll, I'll do like a little bit of a series where I talk about like, how I came up with ideas for the book. Like how I figured out who I was going to interview and you know, how you contact these people, right? It's kind of a crazy thing. You're, you're contacting someone saying, here's who I am. And I've got a little bit of street credibility because I've been on PBS twice and I've got to flex that muscle as much as I can to get people because you know they are so in demand or else like they've been out of the field for a while they're an expert and they're kind of just like wanting to chill and I'm like would you please consider this this is how these are the questions I would ask this is how your work would help what I'm doing I you know you'll be portrayed well this is a professional work that's extremely thoroughly edited it'll be in libraries and, um, and yeah, just the people I, I don't, I had I had nobody who, who turned any offer oh any, anything away. Um, and there was, I had a picture, it's the Orville dam and, and there's a engineer, uh, Irfan Alvi was the head engineer of, of the, the team analyzing the failure of the dam. So this was like, I don't know, 200 page report with all these graphics and the images comes out afterwards of saying like, here's why the dam or here's why the spillway failed and all stuff. And, and anyway, he, um so I contact him and there was an image of the, the dam site, including the spillway and the emergency spillway. So like, it was weird. Cause Juan couldn't get me a good photo. Cause like you, you can kind of imagine like everything he's doing is video. He's up in his plane doing video and, and these little narratives but so there's there's it's obscured and if you try to like just take snap screenshots it just wasn't working out so there's this perfect image of the dam and it's all labeled with kind of the parts you know where the spillway is so is you and, it, and it's taken from a plane obviously um so i contact this guy and i'm like i find his email address on the report i'm like i'm writing a book and can i use this image um because you've labeled it and you've uh, you've obtained this image and You've labeled it. Can I use it in the book? It was like a Sunday. It was a Sunday. Was all, I was all walking and you know, so I saw emailed the guy and like an hour later, I checked my phone and there's a response. He's like, Oh yeah, no problem. Like, um, you can, you can use it. He's like, by the way, like I got a higher resolution. Like, um, can you wait till month? Can you wait till tomorrow? <laughs> my God, like, um, of course I can, you know? And so right away the next day he sends me like the higher resolution and, and a, a note of permission, you know, I grant you permission, this first appeared, whatever, and then, you know, I, I just cited it out appropriately in an end note, but I'm like, that guy didn't have to do any of that. He could have just blown off that email, or he could be like, I've got other things to do, I don't have to do this, I don't have to find the high-res photo for this this guy, and so, so the thing is, like, there's a lot of really awesome people that you interact with, and I can get into, I mean, certainly people help me with graphics, and in, in, have just elevated the book to incredible levels, but, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a cool thing. Um, when I was doing my dissertation in for my PhD, I remember meeting with my advisor once and, you know, so you're citing all of these people who seem like they're completely remote and on these ivory (laughs) towers on these islands and experts and stuff like that. And, And my advisor said to me, he said, why don't you just call this guy? Like he's up at the university of Michigan or something like, um, yeah like you can find his contact information on the university website. Why don't you just call him and ask him what he meant by whatever distributed leadership or whatever the term was? I'm like, really? like, and he's like, yeah, just call some of these people see if they'll if they're around or they'll respond. and I did it and um a number of them I was able to get a hold of, and of course, they were interested that I was interested in their work and they they helped me out, but I'm like that was a that was a good thing. Um, and it, again, it goes into the book too of like, talk to the people, find your network, ask people who are authentically in situations, what is happening? Instead of having some middle person try to pull this together or that you just have some cold, you know, document that's been put together and you're trying to, to pull information from it, um, without having much of a, of a context, you know, try to find the people. Um, so that was really cool. You know, question about, yeah, how do you, how do you do that? So. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, drones to film the damage and all the price. Yeah. They use drones to film the damage and all the progress rebuilding the dam. Yeah. That was amazing. Yeah. Um, in department of, um, of water in California was, was sharing that. And, Um, uh, you know, the thing right now uh, assessed on that is the dam, the Oroville dam reservoir is like at an all time record low. So they're barely getting enough. I don't know if they're even operating the, the, um the turbines on the dam if the if they have any water coming in like it is that low so you went from 2017 overtopping to right now this record low which is just crazy right because you know, this window so i'm writing about this orville dam instance this dam overtopping if you went there today i mean the water is like way super super low um so yeah mictibus said and we'll um you're right Hundred percent. People tend to be remarkably approachable if you try. Yeah, and that's. It's so weird too that I didn't. I didn't explicitly have anybody tell me that until again I was into my PhD program toward the end, (laughs) of my PhD program. And my advisor was like, just just figure this out, you know. And Danny Woodburn, you know, uh, Mickey Abbott on Seinfeld wrote my wrote the forward for School of Airs, a brilliant forward. And you know, I met him at a conference and you know, just did a follow-up with him, um, and, and and he said, the?" I think I met you at a conference, like, when I followed up with him, like, yes, 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 you remember me, and stuff like that, and then, you know, I'm just like, um, you know, you, I've admired your work in, you know, disability rights and accessi- accessibility and design, and uh, I'd, I'd love to have you consider the forward for the book, and he's like, yeah, so we we talked, we had quite a few conversations, he put together his outstanding, forward for um, School of Airs and and did some promo for the book. And I'm like, that's all because I went out and contacted, you know, um, tried to contact him. And so it is, it is just really, it's really cool. And it it really goes into the theme of the velocity of information too, of getting out there and making those contacts or building your member check network, right. And people, and here, you know what that is. You know, your group of people of what's happening authentically around you, and, um, and instead of outsourcing things or offloading things to the media, uh, <laughs> who are just going to try to send you, you know, a push notification and and uh, you know, try to get your advertising um, uh, clicks and stuff like that. And 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 plus, like they don't know the stuff, right? I mean, like Juan knows it because he goes up there every day and he's trying to to learn about the stuff. I mean, while a reporter. You know, um, takes a couple pictures and talks to one person and leaves, and it's 90 seconds on the news. Um, So, yeah, it is just, um, so, Bacon says Shasta Lake is the lowest I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's, it's, even around here in Wisconsin, uh, we are really low. Um, The Wisconsin River goes through my town, and it is is low. So, you'll see a lot of sand, a lot of sand out there. So, um, not, not drought conditions necessarily, but like, it's just really, really low. So holy smokes, or, um, Sastro Orville Orville is uh, about 200 feet below normal. Wow. And when we think about again, like overtopping the emergency spillway in 2017, I mean, being obviously down more, more than 200 feet because you wouldn't have it right up to the spillway. So, um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. So it's kind of scary, but, um, so everybody, um, what I will do is I'm, I am going to write this on the podcast or on my, on my website, safetyphd.com. I will do a little, um, entry of about 800 words of a narrative of this show. And then, um, I will rip this down to audio and get this over on, um, what is it? Podbean. <laughs> I'm like, where am I at? Like I haven't been so long since I published anything. And I'm like, what in the world? Um, yeah, I'll get it over there. And then of course I gets it up on iTunes and stuff, but this is the episode. Like if you're doing a long drive, um, yeah, like across country and you want to listen to something, oh, this will be, this will be good. This will be, this will be good for my friend, uh, Phil Henry over in Germany. Cause he tends to, to have like long projects he works on. So, Mictimus, thank you. Awesome to see you streaming again. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad. I wanted. I've been thinking like the last uh, couple couple weeks of you know wanting to um, begin streaming again. You know, part of not streaming, by the way, was um, with the book. Um, to to you need to have a little bit of a low profile while your book is being developed and accepted for publication. Um, so that contributed somewhat. To kind of pulling and just the sheer amount of time I needed to spend on on the book and the timeline with it, I had a really aggressive timeline to you know get that book done and, and fully fully accepted by the publisher in September. School of Airs was about a th- two to three year project and two hundred four pages. This is two fifty five, and this was about sixteen months start to finish. So really pedal to the metal. Um, but yeah, I've I want to get back. Will you be having a live stream schedule? Cameron Sanchez. Um, good question. I, I'd like to, and I, I want to make sure it's obviously not Wednesdays because that's masculine geek. Um, Tuesdays probably wouldn't be happening. Um, I, I guess I'd have to see where Nick August and, and Rob, um, and also I probably wouldn't go head to head with the Mallard podcast. So that might leave maybe like a Thursday or I, I don't know. I'll, it'd probably be like a Tuesday or a, Thursday. Although there's really nothing prohibiting from a Monday, my schedule's pretty open, um, so I need to to figure that. Um, I need to figure that out. But I'd like to get back to yeah a regular, uh, a regular schedule. Um, so, and and, and kind of theme things out a little more. Um, I mean, eventually, if I could get up to like a thousand subscribers, right? <laughs> that was that was one thing, though. I will say that in the process of asking people to like with if i was going to interview somebody they they started to ask like how how big of a social media like profile do you have because i think some some people weren't going to come on the show necessarily and do an interview unless they knew i had a certain threshold of subscribers so that was out there and i, and I totally get it with people like you know you you they they have a lot of stuff going on and if they have a big subscribership, they're only going to, um, they have to make some decisions based on how they're going to be marketed. Right. But those people also said, yeah, I'll do an interview, you know, with you like something, you you know, where you send me the questions and, and we just do it and record it, but to actually like come in and do a show and schedule that out. Um, so yeah, if the show gets a little more, more prevalent, I don't know if there'll ever be safety doc merch. I don't know if that'll ever be, be happening, but, um, but yeah, so you are the host doc, uh, you do, it works for you. Yeah. Well, let, and let me know down below in the comments, like again, post, please post in the comments, um, because but it helps the algorithm, right? There's no one posting comments, but if you even say like, you know, I hear some other shows on some other, other dates. So I know Wednesdays to stay away from, but you know, um, you know, Mondays might be, might, might be kind of a, maybe kind of a good way to do, um, to do like a Monday I don't know what else all happens on a, on a Thursday, but, uh, but yeah, um, it's, it's just really good. So, all right. So everybody, this is now 11 o'clock here in Wisconsin. And actually, um, my tomorrow's pretty wide open. I don't have, I don't have a lot going on. I do have, um, I'll be on masculine geek podcast tomorrow night as part of the author roundtable. Um, so we'll be talking I'll be talking, you know, about the, the two books, um, but mostly about velocity of information and, uh, starting to pump that a little bit. So I have the press release. Um, both, we're doing two press releases, the publisher. So, um, spaced five weeks apart and then there'll be a, a third press release with the audio book, but the audio book is staggered. That comes out after print. So there'll, there'll be actually this, this, a little bit of a different marketing approach, um, uh, more aggressive marketing um, with this than School of Airs, and I'll be. Do, I'm, I'm starting to like book out onto um, shows and things like that for interviews um, around the time frame that the book will be released. So a lot of this stuff is really in in the works. Like when you work with a traditional publisher and author events and all of those things, I've been through that once before. So it's actually really exciting. I mean, there's I have a, I have a pen, um, a a mount uh, mount blanc um pen which um i bought when i ouch Mondays are usually open alongside from rich cooper so yeah um okay so this is my mount blanc mont blanc mont blanc so this pen was very expensive i bought this used i have a a friend who's a pen connoisseur and i said i want a really good pen not a fountain pen to sign my books like so the ink will never fade and and all of that so i got this again i bought this used off of like a pen market (laughs) that he like looked at all of the specifications he's like this is the pen like you need and then i went online to the mont blanc website and i mashed up the numbers and stuff and then i ordered ink and like an ink refills like 10 or 12 bucks just for like you know the, the ink and i don't use the pen a lot i mean it's just for signing the books and stuff but and then it's real formal, you know, like they send you the package and it comes in the mail and it's, it's, you know, it was real ritzy. And, um, so it, it's a big thing like to use the pen, um, to sign, uh, to sign the book. Um, so yeah. And that I, I always, uh, write Keep the pen with me. Like no one, <laughs> if I go to a book signing and stuff like, you know, you don't get, you never get to hold the pen, you get to see the pen, but um because yeah i've never spent that much on a pen in my life and that it's my but i always said if i publish a book i am going to splurge on a pen and unfortunately yeah like i said i i knew the person that knew everything about pens and it didn't take him long to you to find this one again i had no idea there's a pen market like i had to go to this website <laughs> he gave me like this is the one right here and this is what they're advertising it for and It's readily, you can get the inks readily available for it. And it is, it's a, it's a beautiful pen. Like when I sign stuff with it, 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 and and those of you who've received, you know, stuff from me, it's all been signed in this pen. So if you have a copy that I've signed for you, that's a pen that's signed. it. It is, uh, it just, it brings it to life. It's a bold, there's something about signing with a pen like that. It's just like when I teach at the university. I teach at a university, 130 year old buildings. It's a private university. Buildings are meticulously kept up so it's all this intricate wood in every classroom and and when you go through this it's just unbelievable um so when you go in there are slate chalkboards and they have this very exclusive chalk so you get allocated um so much chalk per class and you know so this isn't you know the chalk you're buying at at staples or anything i mean this is i don't know where this stuff comes from but it is it is when you write with it it's almost this buttery type of writing and i i i just told every time i teach like i just tell my students i'm like you have no idea how awesome this is this experience of writing doing this class and putting all the notes and doing everything up on a a slate board which is probably 120 years old and like in perfect condition and that they professionally clean right <laughs> and then um and then having having your chalk in an envelope ready for you <laughs> when you arrive to class and and using this chalk um it is it is this it is incredible experience um and something that would have been lost I give like you would just have a whiteboard in there or something uh, is it's so weird and as as I said, it's just, it's a happy feeling that, you know, there's, there's to, to use this buttery, specially obtained chalk that I, I think is specific for those slates. Cause they, they do tell you, don't bring anything else in, you know, cause it, it could mess with these or whatever. So just use like what we, what we provide for you. Um, so, which is really cool, by the way, the university, um, had, um, they they redid the signage outside, and I I only teach there in fall. Well, I teach there in spring too, but it's all online, so it's 90 miles away. And I went there and I got in and the you know, it was, it was, I got out of the building and it was night because class all day and then you know the other stuff. And, and I'm like, where in the world? I they redid the sign, so like I, I was like, where am I? Like I went out a different a different door. It's not that big of a campus, but I'm like, it took me a while to kind of get my bearings and figure out where my vehicle was and stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, like. It's really cool. Where do I store the pen? Like right in my desk. Um, So it is, I mean, it's it's nothing worth anybody breaking into my house to, to get, because it's it's a budget luxury pen, but yeah. um, But it is, I I'm afraid of losing it. When I go out and I go to book signing things, I have a leather pad folio, which is a zipper leather pad folio inside. There's a zipper area too. So like I put it inside of there. So there's redundancy, and I just absolutely never, never kind of set it down or else I put it inside my sport coat. Like it's, you know, I, I latch it on the, the inside. Most of the book signing kind of happens here. Like people send me books or, you know, something like that. So just, it's just, yeah. And I have the stamp too. Like some of you have the stamp for the safety doc stuff. That's really rare. So there's there's a professional stamp that I had made from the artist rendition of of my logo, my Safety Doc logo, and that's an ink stamp. And and again, some of you do have that in uh, books that I've signed and sent to you. So like that's r- rare. Sometimes I'll bring that to book signings, and other times because it's it's almost too big. Like you got to like maneuver it just right on the book, and if you screw it up, then it's like oh I'm sorry. Like the book you just bought for thirty dollars has like a big smear of what should be like a safety dot logo. Sorry about that. So like, I really need a controlled environment to kind of measure that up and take my time. And there's a certain amount of force you have to put down and hold it for like maybe four or five seconds. And so I don't like to take that one on the road with me because um, yeah, there's just too much that can go wrong. Right. <laughs> Especially after somebody buys a book and hands it to you, I'm like, Oh God. Um, so yeah, that, that is pretty crazy. So all right. So if I ever bacon, if I ever get a point of in publishing, anything of getting an embossing set, that makes sense. Like I should look at, uh, on in, some type of, uh, emboss like for the in, inside of the cover page, uh, something that would be, be small, you know, like that'd be portable that I could bring. I saw like, I went to, you know, I've gone to author events, right? So I see other authors that have stuff like that. It was pretty cool. Um, I had like some author that has like a, he had like a candle, and then he had a candle wax that he would dip a thing in. And he would, like, dip it inside his book. I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what the hell's going on there. Like, that's kind of not for me. But I guess, like, your fans kind of like that. I actually did – when I did my first book signing, I didn't even have a stand for my book. So I was at Barnes & Noble. And, uh, you know, I just had co- – and they had copies of the book, too. And I'm like – and and so, like, they they – gave me a stand or really, like, here, you can keep this one. <laughs> I should have like asked for more. Like I've, I've got to order a, a set now because right out of the two books. And, but when you go places, I want to have a couple like that. I can, if I lose them or something like that, if I leave them someplace, not a big deal, but I didn't even have a stand. You know, when you're a new author, like you don't really know what to do or like, it's weird because I, I have the first version of school of Ayers ever. Like the very first book published, you know, the publisher get, got to me and I highlighted out what I, what I read it, at book events and stuff like that. So it's like my, that is the one with my own personal handwritten notes in it. So at some point like that, we'll sell at auction for millions of dollars. Um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, we'll see. So, all right, um, everybody, thank you so much again. Um, if you can hit that um, like, if you can get into social media and like share and say, Hey, like doc came out of um, somewhere somewhere. After 10 months, he appeared, he seemed pretty alert, um, pretty cohesive for the better part of three hours. And here's the show. Like you might want to go in and check it. Um, any comments below on when the show could go or anything like you're thinking like from a school and this, this interface between school and pandemic, you're like, Hey doc, like you should look, watch for this stuff or, um, you know, here's something I'm seeing in my area. <laughs> here's something the news is covering. Here's, here's something that, you know, the uh, school board is doing or something like that. Like put it down below. Like, I'd be fascinated to hear about that. Uh, or even like, if there's anything kind of going on in that arena. You're like, Hey, like this, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be pretty interesting to do a show, um, you know, like that. So I'm like, yeah. So, so today, I mean, I really thought there was value in doing a show of saying, how does, how does this work? Like, why don't schools right standardize this stuff? Was it an issue of money? Well, Probably not. Was it an issue of access? No. How do board policies work and how do boards function? What's what happens when you get sued? Like if you're an administrator, what's what are the next things that are happening and how do we really know if this stuff is making a difference or not, or maybe we don't. And and, uh, yeah, I think all that's pretty, pretty interesting, interesting stuff. So Cameron, thank you. Good show as always. I definitely appreciate it. Thank you for coming in. Bacon. Sometime I will be a guest on Bacon's show live from the Inglewood. Um, Amictibus says, as always, thank you. And uh, yeah, thanks for your um, uh, robust uh, support on, you know, social, uh, social media. I very much appreciate that. Uh, Sass too many. So good stuff. Well, everybody, I am going to uh, hit the hay. And if you, if you follow too in my in my video archives, you can find the uh, interview I did with Larry Lawton, which is pretty cool. Like I download all of these and then I listen to them. Usually when I'm biking, I listen to my former podcast and, and uh, yeah, it's just, it's a cool, it's cool stuff. Like I think one of the first people I interviewed, like podcast three, I interviewed a lady who had a um, search and rescue dog, Sierra. And she was talking about that process of how like you get the call and, and I'm kind of like, I wonder how that stuff even works today with drones. Like our, is most of that stuff kind of changed? I mean, that was like four or five years ago. So, all right. Is Joe Dolio saying great show doc. Uh, thank you, Joe. Shout out to the state of Michigan. And Joe, I think we're sending some rainy, cold weather over your way. Cause that's what we had here. So, all right, everybody take care. And uh, I will try to, to get some schedule up and I've got a, a couple outlines for some future shows here. So comment, share, subscribe and I appreciate it. This has been the Safety Doc Podcast with author, radio show host, and leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Remember to check back each week for the latest, best, and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. You can find Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe.